Alright, welcome back to another story from, well, another episode of Stories from the Christmas Tour. I'm here with Steven today, and we are discussing, uh, among some things, uh, the Canadian Libertarian Movement and Constitution, as well as uh, some other stuff. We'll likely touch on the Syrian intervention and where that's going to go, because that's uh, that may not be a nice, friendly little thing that the West has just pushed itself into again. So, Stephen, how are you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thanks for getting back to me so quickly and wanting to come on. <laughs> no worries. Yeah. All right, so where do you want to launch off? I mean, should we uh, deal with the elephant in the room? The fact that the U.S., uh, France, and the U.K. have launched missiles at Syria? Yeah, no, that's... Uh, has potential to be interesting yeah yeah another intervention of our time yeah the last one libya didn't go so well so after the fact uh so let's hopefully that this is only one shot again well they shot last year too yeah no it's uh i mean i mean the real problem is because you got russia in there so you got like russian and u.s troops operating in the same theater on opposite sides. sides yeah so, yeah, yeah I, I mean, if some mistake happens, happens. there, it's it yeah. could be like an actual hot war between yeah, the US there, and there, Russia, which there, is not good. Yeah, there's a big chance for escalation, especially, uh, yeah, as long as it's Russian mercenaries, the Russians don't seem to care. But once it's their regular troops, like, did you, um, it was earlier, I think it was in February where there was a Russian mercenary convoy that was taken out by US artillery um, that was just like, they got the transcripts from the Russian radio. <laughs> and it's insane how the what did they say so it was like um the russians were kind of like we didn't see the american troops we didn't have to see the american troops they fucked us with artillery like they didn't even have to shoot at us they just hit us from beyond our range with artillery and we just all screwed up and we had to go home wow <laughs> and it was like and the whole thing was is that russia I, I, according to people who understand i'm not the best at this but there is a um, mercenary organization the Russian government practically owns that's been providing mercenary support to the uh, separatist movement in Ukraine and they're also I forget what the company name but they're also sending a ton of troops down to Syria under like auspices of being like Syrian paid for fighters but they're actually mm-hmm. Russian fighters and stuff like this they've been doing this apparently since well since the intervention into che- the invasion of Chechnya apparently they've this organization's existed from so but the uh, fact that this radio contact actually had in some port- parts of it, like directly saying that we're going to need like actual Russian military force to move these guys out of this place or we're, we're not going to get anywhere and kind of describing that like they're not there because of Syria. They're there because Russia's paying them to be there to change <laughs> the shape of the war. But yeah, it, it's been. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, because it's not even clear who did the chemical, chemical weapons attack. attack. Yeah. yeah, it's well, or even if. I mean, to a certain extent, whether or not it even happened, because okay. there's reports, but Syria has the whole place locked down, so no one can get in. Yeah. And Yeah, information streaming yeah. out of there is sketchy at best. Yeah, well, and the other thing, too, I mean, Syria's winning the war right now. Yeah. You know, they didn't need to do this. There's no tactical no reason, reason yeah. which it's got to... Inter- I mean, the, the rebels actually have a motive to, <laughs> to do, do it, because yeah. now they brought the U.S. Yes. into it, so it actually... Yeah. Even, even if they got to shoot themselves in the foot a little bit, you know, they're... It could help them out a yeah. lot more. I yeah, that's the thing. People bring up false flags, and it's like, it's like I, I for Syria, I don't discount that because there's so many groups on so many sides. It's like you can't like maybe the rebel group that we like isn't going to do that, but maybe the one like who agrees with them but is slightly crazier wouldn't have a problem doing that. 
It's kind of yeah. like this, the CIA's wet dream of like, we we are just negligent of all of our groups doing insane things, and hopefully one of them does something <laughs> we like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... I mean, there was another story um, in March where a CIA paid rebel group started shooting at a Pentagon paid rebel group. They're kind of like, oh, now we have to disarm both these groups. I remember when the whole Syrian conflict first started and my, my original thought was, and it, it remains this, is that as bad as Assad is, he actually had a better society underneath him than a collapsed regime would be in that country. Oh yeah, because he yeah. provided like protection for the Jewish and Christian populations mm-hmm. there. He never really persecuted them. Yeah, I mean it's. I mean on a short term basis, it probably would be better to try to get him and solidly back in control. I mean, yeah. he, you know, at that point, you know. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. could maybe go in under the understanding of we'll get you back into control, mm-hmm. but then after that, we're planning elections and you're out. Yeah. Kind of thing, well. but. Except that they've tried to do that in Iraq, and yeah. eventually had to but, kick. But I mean, it's but, yeah. yeah. But I think the U.S. ultimately just wants their guy in power, and that's... yeah, <laughs> well, they want it. They want their control of the region for sure. I mean, that's the Middle East has just been a just a major clusterfuck for the past. Well, goes back tons and tons of years. Even um, T.E. Lawrence's um, Seven Pillars of Wisdom book kind of predicted that. Uh, that the um, Muslim faith in the Middle East was going to get into a fight between the two, the Shia, Shia yeah, yeah. and the Sunni sects. He's like, these guys are going to go to a full-scale war. And he wrote that in 1920 and said, like, wow. these, th- there will be no true reconciliation between these groups. Until one is dead, the other they will fight mm. in some way, shape, or form. And it, 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 he kind of said, like, hopefully the West and the rest of the world decides to get out of there and not provide them the matchstick they need to light this fire. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, to a certain extent, it's almost, I think one of the better arguments for renewable energy and stuff like that. Cause yeah. then it's like, you really don't need control or influence no. in the region at all. Cause that's, yeah. I mean, oil's the one thing that they really provide. And that's, then, that's about it. I mean, you know, if, if the world moved to more towards uh, better fuels, like nuclear energy, uh, we have Saskatchewan, which is pretty good at providing that. That or, I mean, Alberta's pretty sunny too, especially like Calgary's one of the sunniest yeah. places in the we're, world. We're, we're we're the sunniest city in Canada. Yeah, yeah, but it's still 276 days, which is um, yeah. for certain parts still not technically viable for certain solar oh, installations. It? Huh. It, it's it's because of um, I think it was because of the amount of moisture in our atmosphere that can oh. cause problems and how quickly the clouds move on to okay. our uh, zone. There was a feasibility study I read that was in 2010. They've probably updated and fixed it up, but I do remember them saying that it was just, it was at the right amount. So like we have the enough sunny days to make it work, but there's too many other conditions that don't oh, factor okay. in as yeah. well. I mean, you do get short days in the winter too. Which, yeah. But so it, it is colder, which makes it more efficient then. Yeah, it does mean, yeah, that's for sure. But of course, then you have to deal with cleaning the panels off yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. There was always like, <laughs> it's like, um, well, the traditional solar panel that you put in a house is supposed to be able to pay itself off in about five years. And in Calgary, um, the last time one of the big guys did a study was it was like 11 years. So oh. you're buying a new solar panel before you paid off your original one, just because oh, the- they have about a 10 year lifespan. Oh. So like it, it it's like and they were saying like that so if you're just putting it up there and you're hoping the ice naturally melts away it's like if you're actually right. doing a lot more work on it it can it, it does work out but okay. you do have to then bring into the fact that a lot of people don't do the proper yeah. 
thing. And they were also saying that was a solar panel on a on a arm that followed the sun, like it oh, properly like, like tracked the, the, the sun. Perfect. It wasn't situation. just like <laughs> flat. It wasn't just aimed at the forty five degrees to the south. Right. So. But I mean, it can be done. At least it's better than solar roadways. <laughs> mm-hmm. Have you yeah. studied any of that? Uh, oh, the, yeah, the sol- yeah. I I I was reading the one article on it like a while ago. It's I mean, the thing would be expensive to yeah. implement on an actual highway because they have all these little uh, yeah. hexagonal panels and yeah. they're really advanced because they got the heaters in them and yeah, little computer chips to regulate them and stuff like that. Yeah, it would work possibly on a parking lot because the other thing too is you have these panels if you made a highway of them you got a, like a little crack in the road evenly yeah. space that's going to produce a really nice hum yeah well not only that it's like um they there's this one guy on youtube um thunderfoot who he has a whole video series just kind of like just not not just disproving but like showing the infeasibility of the solar roadways like that concept like there's better versions that mm-hmm. could potentially be made but yeah, he's at the same time saying like why put solar panels on the road where you have cars drive over top of them when you can put them on the flat buildings right next to them or yeah. on the par- or above the parking lots yeah and that'd be they have way less it's like you know it's usually one quarter of the price and they last 10 times longer yeah the other uh, one he was talking about was about how um how a lot of the metals in cars, specifically anything involving, um, uh, well, the the little um, metal end of the spark plug, I forget what material that's made out of, but that has an insane um, capability of just destroying glass. Like the second it contacts tempered glass, the glass just shatters. Oh, okay. It's like, it doesn't even have to be thrown that hard. You can just flick it and <laughs> your passenger window will just crumb, just fall apart. They're like, well, that would be nice if, uh, you know, semi-truck crashes and that, those parts go spreading out and suddenly you've got 400 destroyed solar panels on the road as well as the destroyed oh, yeah, semi. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. maintenance cost on that would be insane. Yeah. There's also the Tesla solar roof. Yeah, yeah. That would yeah. be an interesting one. Yeah. I saw yeah. that. That that makes that is makes much more sense for both for the aesthetic thing and how it, how it's built to be modular and added in. You, yeah, you well, to... I mean, it's basically a tile roof, but yeah. all the tiles are solar, solar panels. panels that are also pretty tough. Uh, yeah, I, I saw like a video. I think he was dropping like a kettlebell on them or yeah, something yeah. like that, and they survived. Yeah. which is <laughs> that's the impressive. amazing thing is, is that, um, and I'll say this about Tesla, is that even though well, I mean they're the ones marketing that, they're not the first ones that come up with that idea. Mm-hmm. But the original company who came up with it, um, basically, they didn't have the R and D budget to make it work as well as it should have been. So they just transitioned back to traditional solar panels. I mean, if if that works, like the Tesla power bank, like the house built power bank that is almost a wall shaped thing, yeah, that seems to be power wall. Yeah, that seems to be doing pretty good. I've only heard one story that there's been a problem with that, and that was because of inappropriate installing where the thing hums like oh, okay. at 105 decibels for some reason. Yeah, and, and they're also getting to grid level energy storage. Yeah, doing like big battery banks. Yeah. I, I don't know why they're doing lithium ion for that. Because that's like the storage density is high, but it's expensive. Yeah. And if you're doing a grid level energy I'm, storage, just a big building to store energy for a city, you don't need the density. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if that's because of Elon Musk's um, also investment in his uh, 
in that other um in uh, what was it um solar city solar system. yeah yeah because they were also hawking the lithium-ion batteries i wonder if it's kind of like if well if it, i it, make everything use my lithium-ion yeah. battery i just don't have to build a second or maybe plant. he's got extra capacity mm-hmm. at his gigafactory he needs to burn off and <laughs> well if he does the investors aren't too happy about that because yeah, well, i've just... been watching like the tesla oh, stock been... and some of the some of the smartest guys in the world who look at businesses, they're like, Elon Musk is a brilliant man. The only way Tesla's going to succeed is if he gets out of its way. He's like, they're like, he's a great guy at selling it, but he's terrible at making sure it gets delivered on time. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, for one thing, he's splitting his time between like three companies now. Yeah. Three or four companies. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they recently hit 2,000 Model 3s per month. Yeah. Which. It's yeah. not bad, but considering that they expect it to be like over a hundred thousand by now or something. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then I, I'll say this: like the other problem they have going for them. Well, there's two other problems, but that the fact that the California uh, unions want them to unionize, which would be like another like would be a big blow to uh, yeah, Tesla. That be another because that'd be like a thirty percent cost in labor yeah. increase. And then um, what was the other one I read? Um, Oh, yeah, it was um, that both the U.S. federal and California state tax credits for buying an electric car were going away. Yeah, yeah, that was the other one. It's like, oh, so the... the, the Just went up by $7,000, the cost. <laughs> yeah, well, it was like it went from, what, what was it, like 70000 U.S. to when they took away both those, which the California one doesn't leave until the end of this year, but the U.S. one, I think, leaves either this month or it's already gone. That's like 30000 uh, in oh, wow. price increase, so it goes from like seventy thousand to like a hundred thousand for their cheapest model again. So it no, because actually... the the Model S was seventy thousand, I think, with the rebates. And yeah, then... yeah. So then go the so... Model Three. They want to do it at thirty five. Oh 000. yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. No, but... was, that's right. Was it the Model Three or was it the Model S? The one that had the huge uh, pre-order thing. It was yeah, the Model Three because the Model Three was the cheap yeah. electric car for the masses. Oh, yeah. So, then, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So then the Model Three. Yeah. Well, actually, they did look at the Model Three and they found out that with all those rebates, it does go up to like fifty-six thousand yeah, a car somewhere around the, that. after the rebates have been rescinded right. and stuff so like that. So it's not the car for the masses anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's also just the unfortunate thing of uh, the lithium-ion is just. It's an expensive battery, and it's not as clean as the batteries people like to think. After yeah, they no. get, after they've done their life, try recycling that. Oh yeah, yeah, and then, I mean, that, that's also one theory on the war in Afghanistan that. Uh, oh yeah, the heavy uh, metals. Afghanistan has all the lithium. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've. Well, you know, if if the U.S. government was that forward thinking, which I don't think they are. Yeah, I mean, I, it was early for that, but. Yeah, now like. They actually brought that up in um, um, in uh, is it C- CBS's uh, TV show uh, SEAL Team, which is a Navy SEAL kind of uh, docudrama show they're now making. They just brought that up three episodes ago. It's mm-hmm. like, are the guys actually investing because of the rare earth metals that we're detecting here? Mm-hmm. It's like, wouldn't be unsurprising why they're spending so much time uh, concerned about the new ISIS groups that are appearing there again. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I, I Afghanistan. That's a that's another uh, bag of worms or can of worms. Oh yeah, that's just no. <laughs> I, there's the reason it's called the graveyard of empires. <laughs> yeah, I mean everyone's everyone's I mean, the tried. Soviet to, Union tried and the, the, failed. The British were there for like some ridic- right, yeah, for yeah, like they... like like some sixty years, and they're like, yeah, this isn't gonna work out that well. Yeah, 
It's like, if the British and the Soviets couldn't do it, granted the Soviets didn't use nuclear weapons, but they knew why Although not. Although the U.S. May, sort of was helping push the Soviets out there. Yeah. Well, they started the Taliban, sort of. They yeah, were they, well, they, they started the... They, well, they basically armed the Taliban. And, and they were handing out, like, radical jihad textbooks to kids. <laughs> yeah. I think, and then... Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie um, about that, like, Charlie Wilson's War? With Tom Hanks? I don't think so. So it brings up the... It, it's a... Well, you know, it's a dramatization of the U.S.'s intervention into supplying the weapon systems for the Taliban and the Mujahideen. Mujahideen. <laughs> there, there, I properly pronounced it. Uh, my my mouth sometimes just decides not to pronounce words that I know how to say. <laughs> but um, but basically, at one point, um, the guys who were in it, like the main CIA guy who was overseeing all of Afghanistan, warned against being too involved in the war and then not being involved after it. He's like, if we're going to provide them weapon systems, we better provide them a culture to build up after they're done. Mm. And like, he's like, not invade. I'm talking about like voluntarily, like here, we're going to send like all these companies. We're going to ask them to like help rebuild your com- country and give you a reason to live this way. Cause otherwise like the most brutal guy's going to win this fight. Mm-hmm. And he also described about how um, at one point they, I mean, the guy's played by Philip Seymour Hoffman in the movie, but he said the biggest problem is as soon, once the U.S. government gets fully involved, they're going to claim that God's on their side. And he's like, what happens when God gets on both sides? Because that's what's <laughs> going to happen. He's like, if we don't follow this through and make sure the radical elements don't take over Afghanistan, God's going to be on their side when they fight with us. And we're going to think God's right. on our side when we fight with them. Right. It's like, you know, that was... Some of the smart forward-thinking guys were thinking about that, but then they probably also got told, like, we need the Iranians to provide the weapons for the drug cartels to make sure that the con- that the uh, bad guy, that the Soviets mm-hmm. can't expand into uh, Latin America as much. So, right, yeah. yeah. And then all of that. All of that. <laughs> yeah. It's cr- crazy what's <laughs> the in- how the Cold War has shaped the world post-it. <laughs> Oh yeah. yeah, and uh, I mean it'll be interesting to see now because we're moving into more of a tripolar world, and yeah, how exactly that's going to work out. Like if whether or not Russia's still on the downslope, or if it's going to fully reemerge as a superpower or not. Which yeah. that's interesting. China's definitely going to be there, but yeah, it also depends on what the U.S. does if they're going to. Because yeah. I almost sort of thought they're on the way down a little bit, sort of like, kind of on the crest. Well, yeah, starting they, well, to, well, on the if, down. If but. you go follow the history of empires, they technically are they've either about to peak or they are peaking right now. It really depends on like who gets in command, and um, there would be another thing to talk about, just about um, how uh, the few times you've, I've studied just historical empires, like the big ones. So let's say like Greece and Rome and stuff like that, mm-hmm. when they collapsed, it wasn't just, you know, if there was a mo- major monetary issue and they were expanded beyond their possible control, mm-hmm. which is true about the United States. They are, they have military presence all over the world and it's costing them tons of money to do so. And they're spending like there's no tomorrow. Of course, everyone's spending like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. So you can't really say like, Oh, us, you're doing bad. It's like everyone's got heavy debt. It's just, yeah when the reset button happens, who's going to be happier that it happened and who's yeah. going to be mad. <laughs> it's, uh, a good, it's a good onion piece on uh, <laughs> the U S debt, like yeah. a video, like the, uh, 
like, like the Senate or something stages a coup. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then you know, the guy yeah. gets up there. Yeah. So uh, we're in control now and all the debt is gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody tries to push that through. The fact that somebody didn't try to do that after 2008 is more surprising to me. Yeah. That would have been the years like, okay, guys, can we just have a clean table again? Everyone starts at zero. <laughs> have you seen uh, Ontario's debt? yeah it's like twice that of california i think and not even on a per capita basis it's just <laughs> like just the raw number yeah well <laughs> that's what happens when you decide to invest in the most expensive energy plan in north america yeah. and not realize how you're gonna pay for it mm-hmm. it's like we're gonna make sure that uh this energy system works it's like yes yeah, so you're buying an energy system that would work better in sub in like closer to tropical mexico yeah and you're, and you was like, if Ontario was Toronto and three square kilometers around t- Toronto, if that was their entire population, they probably could have made that work. But the fact that they're also the second largest province in total area, mm-hmm. or are they larger than uh, Quebec? They're it's, pretty, I mean, the, they got two, a very large, sparsely populated that's, area. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's like transmitting that energy all the yeah. way through there is very expensive. Yeah. 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 That and they haven't bothered to have a government that's actually cared about their fiscal policy since two since pre two thousand. Yeah, it'll be be interesting to see what happens in this election and then how uh, <laughs> Doug Ford does if he wins. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll see if yeah. the Ford brand continues with with him after. Uh, as far as I know, he's doing brother. really good in the polls. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, <laughs> as crazy as his brother was, at least people liked him for being an honest, like I'm a flawed person. Deal yeah. with it. Yeah, was, uh, and he kept the taxes down. Which, yeah, he uh, he actually helped Toronto. Yeah, I mean, for, something I've noticed with conservatives in general is like like they will tolerate almost any personal flaw if if they keep the taxes down basically yeah. it's <laughs> well, yeah it's, it's always been a weird thing with um certain well large sects of the conservatives is that they always claim that they have this moral belief but as soon as it seems like yeah that guy he he, he does blow and he beat a woman up but you know he kept our taxes low so yeah. i guess i can look away of that yeah, but then boring. it's when the liberal has like a like a slightly infidelious relationship and it's like yeah, but i got i got to make sure there's a massive hearing on that yeah it's like that's... yeah are you sure you guys haven't also been doing that behind the closed doors as well i mean i'm fairly certain <laughs> that we could uh yeah not to bring up the me too movement but i'm fairly certain we could find a lot of information about well, any of these find guys it anywhere but yeah, yeah. i know mean, it's just it's just an interesting trend i've seen even with rob ford now with trump yeah, yeah ralph klein back in the day, day you yeah. know i mean like they're complete messes but yeah <laughs> you know, they get yeah. the support i think it, yeah i mean it's just this it's this weird thing with politics about how conservatism and liberalism tries to they try to add this extra level of morality and then when it gets they they put it on their opponent and then when it gets put on them they're like oh but but that's uh, we're doing what we want to have done so it doesn't count for us it's like really <laughs> you guys want to be the hypocrites and two faces then just own it be that way mm-hmm. but don't pretend to play play the game where the other guy's also in trouble for doing it too yeah, yeah. so what do you think about um uh, i guess i i should bring this up what do you think mm-hmm. about the the, the uh, oncoming pot legalization of canada because I have two views in it. Like, A, I like how, at least from the decriminalization standpoint, people aren't going to go to prison for just for nonviolent offenses using marijuana. Yeah, but no, I'm, that's definitely good. I'm yeah. Probably reduce the prison population yeah, by a fair bit. And... Yeah. My concern is then, 
more from the thing of if uh, if it becomes well depends on how much uh, the groups get involved in this but ha I guess I should describe that like the parents groups and stuff but my concern is also the the amount of people who could get addicted and claim that they need treatment from that and how the government's probably going to try to keep considering that in Canada we have the government claiming that they pay for health care but I want to see if they will actually pay for the treatment program oh, for addiction because I, 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 I honestly think that it's going to get to the point where there's going to be enough people claiming that and the government's going to be like hey we made pot legal it's your fault otherwise yeah I mean but what do they do for alcohol addiction right now because well I know that like they, the provinces pay for some of it but mo but their success rate versus the private facilities is is like incredibly skewed. Yeah. My friends who have I've had a friend who's both a I have friends who are pot addicts and alcohol addicts, uh, well alcoholics, and they've both gone through the you know the public paid ones and they just have fallen back on their face and then mm -hmm. they have to pay for their own like twenty thousand dollar a month, uh, proper rehab centers and that's when mm -hmm. they get clean, because the the actual centers actually take time to care who they are. Yeah. Well, and they actually have to deliver if they want to yeah, get that's paid. The, that's, the other, <laughs> that's the other thing. So they actually have to d deliver a product that works. But yeah. but that's my concern is this, like specifically with the liberal government. It, it suddenly is like, oh, no, uh, being addicted to marijuana and all the health, uh, you know, the screwing up of your brain potentially from it is your fault. So that's not going to be covered under the Canadian healthcare yeah. system. And I mean, that's just I'm not my sure cynic. about that. Yeah, I mean, my understanding, though, uh, marijuana is not as addictive as a lot of other stuff like it it's definitely not, is not it's so not it's, it's so like, like like on the whole harm scale of like if you rank drugs by harm yeah marijuana it's, it's is near low, the bottom very low alcohol yeah. is actually a lot higher Hard. yes <laughs> it's, it's yeah. really not that yeah. good like yeah but it's you know people are generally quite fine with it being yeah. legal so my my other concern yeah i would agree with that my other concern is that like whenever that day comes when it gets like fully uh, decriminalized so that people are just going to, there's going to be a, uh, an unfortunately small group of um, individuals who are just going to blow it for everybody else. They're just going to go crazy with it. Yeah. I mean, like right on like the first weekend or something. I yeah, can see just, that, but it's, yeah. uh, I mean, yeah, it's and, not much you can really do about it, but it's just sad that that's what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. There's going to be these, um, you know, potheads who love the, uh, you know, they sort of live up to the Cheech and Chong characters of like, we have to do it everywhere or else our lives aren't worth anything. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, it, from a more selfish standpoint, it, it does, uh, takes out some of the competition in a sense, but yeah, as far as like people who actually want to do stuff, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it'll be, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I mean, the one potential issue could be the smell depending on just, yeah i mean well, there is well that's what concerns dealing. that the whole place yeah. is going to smell now yeah well that's the concern i've read in um colorado springs specifically since they're almost five years into the, they're mm -hmm. actually five years into the program how certain residential well certain communities in colorado springs had um so many grow-ups that weren't fully legalized like they were technically allowed to be done but they weren't done in the proper way that these guys the like paperwork and <laughs> well yeah it's the thing is like they had like government paperwork that they could grow but they grew mm -hmm. more pot plants than oh, they were okay. supposed to and they didn't tell like the landlord they were doing this so they have like a bunch of these houses that are totally condemned and they have to be destroyed in their new houses oh. and it's like that's where my other concern is like how many people are going to 
I mean, again, it's going to be a small group of the population that would do this, but how many are going to just decide, hey, I'm going to grow 10 plants in my in my uh, apartment and not worry about it, and then five years down the line, they didn't properly do something, and it's like mold has infested right. most of the apartment. I think you're only allowed four, like yeah. for personal growing, well, which yeah, is I, the same, I think, like if you have a medical license right now, yeah. you can grow four. Yeah. See, I, I, I understand that. I just think that there would be some people who are like, I'm growing four. What's mm-hmm. wrong with me growing yeah, 10 just, or 12? Or just one more on the side. <laughs> yeah. And- <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that they're doing it to be like, you know, malicious and beat the law. It's just like they, they just want the convenience of like, well, if I use up these, I want some others ready to go. Or like, I've been, I might have friends coming over. Mm-hmm. So I'm not against, against the idea of having that. I think that the limit itself is still kind of like a little over... Um, like if you're gonna, my whole thing is even though this is sort of a bad libertarian stance, it's like if you're gonna decriminalize it, decriminalize them all, and let the world figure itself out. Yeah, I think I mean, it should is, definitely all legitimate... be decriminalized. Yeah, I think. Yeah, because that. Uh, I, I mean, just like a general user. I mean, if they're you know addicted to something, you know, it's not really a legal issue. It's more of a medical issue. Yes. Yeah. Which I've heard, like in Portugal, I think they decriminalized everything. Which, like for addicts, it's. It's a lot easier getting help because you're not yeah. scared of the cops. Well, you know? that's that's how I I think it's that's how I think about it too. Is like you know, if you decriminalized, even though it's like you know one of the worst drugs, black tar heroin, when which is you know really destructive for anyone who takes it. But at the same time, you're going to remove the stigma of people like you know I've done this and I've screwed up my life. Can I get help for it? Because usually they they have to. Um, unfor- the unfortunate thing about most addiction programs and most. Uh, people who are addicts is they have to get to absolute rock bottom before they can they will even seek help because they're too scared of what's going to happen to them that you're scared of there's going to be some sort of prosecution and sometimes that's true in most cases that's not but still that fear is a legitimate reason why those people develop mental health and physical issues is that they like yeah crap i can't get out of this yeah right so that's yeah Oh, so I guess we should go into the... move on to that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So may as well. Yeah. So uh, anyway, like on Wednesday, uh, I was at the Calgary Libertarian Meetup. Mm-hmm. Uh, every second Wednesday of the month, they have uh, like a speaking event where mm-hmm. somebody talks and about some interesting <laughs> topic. topic. Uh, so this month, uh, they got a guy from the Canadian Constitution Foundation. They're a nonprofit legal firm doing pro bono legal work for uh, basically defending people from the government. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> like, like he was quite open. Like basically everyone there is a huge libertarian. Yeah. And so, would you say they're kind of similar to, I guess, the they, they seem like in a better scope than the U.S. ACLU, but probably uh, similar belief. Yeah. No, no, no. There's one in the U.S. Uh, well, I think IJ he, or something. I think he said the acronym something justice. Uh, there, there. there's, there's, there's quite a few institutes like that. I can't remember. Like there's, there, there, is, there's Institute for Justice and stuff like. It I, might be Institute for Justice. But uh, I know there's also the the Institute for Freedom and stuff like that yeah. that are also legal fighting forces. Because I think that there is one there that he said that uh, CCF is basically just the Canadian version of it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I mean they do like you know constitutional challenges and stuff Mm -hmm. uh i think like a while ago there was uh one guy in new brunswick who got caught transporting alcohol from quebec to new brunswick because he uh 
because it's cheaper in Quebec. Yeah. yeah. And so he loaded up his car with like, you know, six cases or something like that. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then, uh, the cops, like the RCMP, they had guys at the parking lot of the liquor store taking down license plates. And then, you know, then, uh, some other guys further down the road at the border checking everyone coming through and really, and then, yeah. So then like they got them and, you know, for, and cause it's more than the personal use limit, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is like not a lot. And then, yeah. Jeez. so yeah. And then, That's... so they, so they defended him. Uh, and I think they, think they won i'm not sure i mean jeez but that's, it, that's, yeah well i mean if, if that's gonna become i mean that's 90 percent of how winnipeg makes their money is people driving up from wisconsin for the cheap beer oh, yeah. well i mean I, that, well, that's going across the u.s border i mean yeah. this is like interprovincial stuff yeah. like you know but still, in Alberta, like, you can't go to the okanagan go on a wine tour buy wine and bring it back here you can't do that yeah <laughs> right now i know that's and then, which is also ridiculous yeah Speaking of Alberta, there. What do you think of Notley and the idea of like raising the gas prices in BC to harm them for the uh, pipeline issue? Alberta thinks it's hilarious, but <laughs> well, it's like, like, it's like it's like I think it's funny, but at the same time, when I when I first heard about that, I'm like, wow, I did not know we like we elected Putin to represent oh, Alberta. Yeah, no, I mean, well, it's it's exactly I mean, like what Gazprom does I mean. to the EU. Yeah, well, it's. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, the like the wine embargo for a while was interesting, although that seems to have stopped. Stops, yeah. But well, it's like I just I, I I understand why provinces have like these trade sort artificial trade barriers created between themselves, but it's like, do you guys really need to do this? Because the only reason you're doing it is because taxes are are the uh, are causing the problems and people are just looking away to mitigate that problem by going somewhere else. You're having yeah. capital flight in a different way. Well, I mean, and it's like, it's actually in the constitution. It says that goods produced in one province will travel freely to any other province. province. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's like yeah. this whole concept is unconstitutional. Well, well, yeah. I mean, like we're supposed to have free trade between provinces anyway. And yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, we'd have free trade between nations as well. Oh yeah. But <laughs> it's uh, again, ideal world. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. Yeah. So anyway, the uh, like the CCF, they recently commissioned a study. Ipsos did it. The it happened in March. They were asking people just mm. a bunch of questions, and so the presenter at the Calgary Libertarian event he went through the PowerPoint slide they made. Mm. PowerPoint slides they made. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we can just go through a few of them, maybe. And sure. Just pick out whichever ones you think are uh, interesting. I mean, we were just talking about free, free trade. trade. Yeah. I just so uh, like the second question. Yeah. Uh, so the question was, uh, would you support or oppose a change to the Canadian constitution that would allow Canadians to transport legally purchased products between provinces? Uh, nationwide, 94% are in favor of that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's, that's a, <laughs> and it's pretty much the same ratio in every other province. That, so. uh, yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, that would qualify as a, if that became a constitutional <laughs> amendment, that would easily pass. Uh, yeah. Like at the, at a public level, I mean, it's like the amending formula is, uh, yeah, a tough. Pain. But, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you and I mean, Quebec would still oppose it just cause they could. Just because they could, yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. Well, although you don't need Quebec if you had Ontario. Yeah. Because you would need seven of ten provinces and fifty percent of the population. Yeah. So if you had Yeah. Ontario's got forty percent, so that's Yeah. The problem is that Quebec would then like fight the Supreme Court saying no. like you're trying to destroy our identity and that's unfortunately become a sort of a president yeah. that they can defend their identity using any means necessary. Yeah. I mean that's the other crazy thing is when you read the um like in Canada, the sort of freedom of speech, which is actually freedom of expression law we have, mm-hmm. freedom of expression association, how that um, that uh, how that right was written in a way that said that if you know Quebec can easily violate that by saying like no, if you're an English speaking company, you must have French two thirds the time larger as your primary language on the sign, even in Montreal. Even if it's in a English speaking only yeah. neighborhood, because well, even Walmart had to change their yeah, name they did. Quebec. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so like that's the only like the way that that um, right was written. It's like it's got this. It's got I think it's clause seven is what mm-hmm. they call it that allows like the government to intervene if it's damaging of the culture and society. Hmm. And it's like it's just the way it's written. It's written in such a terrible way that allow that gives it broad interpretation. So it's like yeah. it's like oh. Um, one of, one of my friends described it as like so it's just as long as your speech conforms to like how society's supposed to be moving it's fine but once it can potentially derail society the government's like no you actually can't say that anymore <laughs> like yeah yeah no, i mean well he shared something else uh like uh towards the end of the evening it's uh it might be section 15 or something of the constitution or something like that it's it's sort of the equality cause clause oh, that's that's right yeah like like, like the first part is pretty good like it's yeah it's just your basic equality before the law you know doesn't yeah. matter who or what you are like mm-hmm. everyone is equal mm-hmm. fair enough uh the second part though is the government can discriminate Made. in order to yeah that's right rectify inequalities or something like that's that that's right that's right <laughs> that's right because the uh yeah in the freedom of speech section clause seven points to section 15 and said that's the reason why clause seven exists okay <laughs> that's right i forgot it was section 15 but you know how many canadians actually read the the constitution and the bill of rights not enough <laughs> or the charter of rights and freedom yeah you can actually right. get a free copy yeah you I can found. yeah they'll just send it to you and then <laughs> just, again like the reason it's free is probably because so few people ask for it it's like the printing mm. cost covers itself yeah, in taxes no people want the uh the flag that flies on parliament hill yeah you can get those for free, free. but there's like a 50-year waiting list on them yeah <laughs> well yeah flags um, yeah. that's insane strongly support somewhat support like yeah that is a huge yeah no i mean everyone wants the free trade and the next few questions are basically along whether or not a business can sell across provincial boundaries which uh, they should and, yeah and like 95 percent of canadians agree <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah that, that is a um... and that would kill things like the lcbo in ontario yeah that sells all their alcohol because you know if like an Alberta liquor store could just sell alcohol oh. to Ontario in the mail. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the shipping costs might be prohibitive, but... Well, that depends. If you get an, an, enough of they fill up a uh, train car with them, it's like yeah, yeah. Every, everything's scalable. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, well, the crazy thing is, so, do you know um, the lighting company here in Calgary, Christie Lights? They provide mm, like lights okay. and rental. They're like one of the, they, they provide lights to the Saddle Dome and stuff like that. Oh, okay. They're pretty big. Anyway, I, I visited there one time. All their stock is in Vancouver, and they provide lights across Canada. It's cheap enough for them to throw their stuff on a transport plane and fly them to any site they need <laughs> in a day than versus having all the warehouse space across Canada that they need. 
It's like, mm-hmm. okay, that's that's amazing. Where do you have this magical warehouse in Richmond that you're able to afford that? Because yeah. I want to find that spot. Yeah. But well, because like Amazon, like their first uh, warehouse in Canada was Mississauga, and then the yeah. second one was Richmond. Yeah. And now they got one just outside town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the MD of Rocky View, which they're really happy about. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a lot of uh, minimum wage jobs. <laughs> yeah. Well, the MD of Rocky View likes it because of just the... Uh, it shows how viable warehouse spacing is outside of Calgary. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Which, you guys, you, it's like one third the tax rate. Yeah, I heard, heard uh, Winnipeg's actually pretty cheap right now. Yeah, it's they all are. The, uh, Bitcoin miners unique. that got kicked out of Russia and China are moving there. Yeah. Well, they're also they were potentially on the short list for the second Amazon HQ. Uh, I think oh, they were. They no. They, they, they like they were in like the top forty of like okay. bids that were viable, but Amazon's kind of like. You guys don't have the tech infrastructure like the. Was Calgary on that top four? Because we didn't no. make the top twenty. I was like Toronto. No, was we the only we didn't Canadian even one. we we didn't we got mentioned in the top forty, but we weren't part of it. It's like oh, okay. we got kicked out mostly because of um, it was again just the viability of the tech infrastructure in Calgary. Like there was enough people to do the jobs, but to but there wasn't enough people to replace them. It was like okay. we don't have we've got enough people to do it today, but mm. in ten years we won't. Well, I mean, concern? but that, but that's a very fluid thing. Cause I'm just thinking, like, if Amazon were to move to you yeah. know Calgary or Winnipeg or anything, yeah. all of a sudden, you know, well, that yeah, city is going to be massively on the tech map. Yeah. So then, and plus, but, then you're going to get a whole bunch of other startups coming up. I think the other reason Calgary was knocked down too was just because of like Amazon couldn't negotiate a good deal with any of the internet service providers for like a really high quality line for okay. them to run on. Because hmm. I know that. Um, uh, one of my family members, he owns a building downtown. He got the first gigabit upload and download in Calgary, and he had to fight for that. <laughs> and he's only got a four-building, four-story office building. Right. And he had to fight for that. He's like, he was asking, tell us, like, why aren't you offering this? And asking Shaw, why aren't you offering this? Like, this is stuff to do. This will bring more tech jobs here. I mean, I guess one reason is that the fact that Shaw, one of Shaw's buildings still remains practically empty from that fire mm. in 2012 or 2013. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, the, I mean, the vacancy rate downtown right now it's is like twenty five or thirty percent or something. It's well, like Brookfield Plaza only has like five floors occupied. Oof! <laughs> the entire building is empty, besides from the only tenant, which has those five or four floors. <laughs> it's like that's kind of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do understand why those guys finished the job. It's like, may as well have a finished building than nothing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it looks dumb to not complete it, but yeah. it, I mean. Yeah. You know, who knows? I mean, there's there's lots of potential and stuff. And I was at a, last October, I was at a conference in town called uh, uh, Pivot Tech. Mm-hmm. It, was, uh, it was just trying to get oil and gas people who had been laid off to like, hey, just look at tech. Yeah, look at another industry. Well, like even, because even in Calgary, like even with the downturn, there's still companies in Calgary who have trouble filling spots in tech. Oh, for sure. Just because there's a talent shortage here. Yeah, I So know. he's like, you know what? I mean, there's... You know, you could just quickly upgrade your skills and stuff like that. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I consider going to Satan doing a getting into like some tech stuff. But the one program I picked, the guys, one of my friends, um, he knew he knew the uh, dean of the program. He's like, yeah, there's a seven year waiting list on that. So good Ooh. luck getting in. I mean, there is a lot of the tech stuff you can just learn online. On yeah, that's uh, well, that's what I'm starting to do now is like some is. of the stuff I know how to do, like 90 percent of what I need to do tech wise that I view myself like if I want to make it a marketable sp- skill I'd spend more time doing it but what I want to do now I 
learn pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the, another thing that libertarians should be happy about is the decentralization of education, how the internet has made, yeah. made it almost, it's made it easier and better than the government. Yeah, for a lot of stuff. Yeah. You know, you don't need it. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. the only thing I haven't been able to figure out is some of the more hands-on stuff like chemistry, like. Well, uh, yeah, like anything. There's always need. the chemistry labs uh, yeah. and things like engineering, I think. At least certain ones you need a, yeah. a hands-on component, I think, really Well, there helps. are, like, yeah, I would say that even though those are true, true educational skills, uh, well, the, those sciences, I would say that they m- interact almost a little bit with, um, I would almost describe the sciences, sciences more as a trade skill because of how much no- physical knowledge you have to have of them versus, like, a lot of the other things in this world, a lot of the mm-hmm. other stuff that we can learn from, like, the, they teach in school, like maths, math and English and social social sciences are stuff that you can learn off the side. I would say that they've, well, the way I'm saying that is that our trade schools in Canada are teach practically Mm -hmm. and that those sciences, sciences require practical learning, having physical models to work on. Yeah. I mean, mean, the issue though is at least in the universities, a lot of the natural sciences, uh, they're taught by research professors who have never really been in a private industry setting. Yeah. So they're all coming from like an academic research perspective and they're teaching you like, you know, the latest science and research, mm-hmm. which, you know, is interesting to a point, but it doesn't versus something like an engineering program at a university yeah. where it's geared to get you a job Pop. for some company. The, a lot of the for natural sure. sciences one they're yeah. they're geared to turn you into a researcher because that's what all the teachers know. Yeah. That is, that is the thing that is big in universities. That's yeah. for sure. That's yeah. one of the main reasons why I, like after I got my BA, I'm like, okay, I'm done here. <laughs> yep. Now that I blame people for who want to go on to get masters and PhDs, mm-hmm. like I consider getting a master's degree, but I sat back and I'm like, there is two jobs in Canada I could get with that master's degree. Yeah. Once no, you gotta... one is at the university, and the other one is at a think tank that's owned by the university. Yeah. No, you really got to look. I think, uh, especially these days, which I did not do before I got my PhD, is yeah. really. Uh, you really got to look like, okay, what am I going to get out of this? What are my options just, with this? And is this investment worthwhile? And yeah. I mean, this is, you know, it should also be done at the undergrad level because there's a lot of undergrad degrees that don't lead to anything. Thank you. Oh, and sure. and you really got to look like, okay, you know, I get this degree. What can I do Give with this? Yeah. And yeah, I understand that, that issue. I, well, just for myself, the way I took university, I wasn't going in there looking for a job. I was mm-hmm. going in there looking for something that was fun to learn. And I think mm. it, it, depending on the prospect, like if you're going in like I did, like you're doing post-secondary, you wind to learn some stuff, expand your horizons and maybe add some like new ideas or some something that might end, like could maybe help you get a job, but it's not something that's going to define mm. the area of expertise you're going to go into. Mm-hmm. It's different. Like if you're going in for, you want like, you know, you, you want to be an engineer, you want to go work in the petroleum industry or something like that, or a specific industry, yeah, definitely taking a program more geared to that's going to help. But also understanding that when you start off, and I think a lot of people enter university mm-hmm. not understanding where they want to go in life. Yeah, and that's... being that you know, you and me are both done. Yeah, <laughs> done university. Yeah. I still don't know where I want to go. Yeah, no, and I mean even like I'm trying to get into sort of data science or something like that. I mean the real reason for that is it's sort of the common jump that a lot of people with my background go into. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, yeah. the soft skills transfer over. You just got to learn a few hard skills and that's yeah. about it. But yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah, you know, other things I want to do. It's, yeah. 
nothing to do with what I've studied. Yeah. Well, I mean, one good thing is, is that the way our economy is going and how many more like crazy jobs are being created because of the internet and other systems of systems that are being created. It's, it's not like there won't be a deficit of jobs. It's just the types of jobs and the styles of them are going to mm-hmm. change. And I think they're changing faster than the university system can keep up. With. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I mean, university is a big bureaucratic yeah. system. I mean, they're designed to be slow. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you, um, have you ever watched, uh, or listened to Dave Rubin? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I got a couple of his podcasts. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> did you see the one, um, um, what was it? Uh, the professor from Evergreen University. Um, oh, uh, and is Eric er- Wine? Yeah, like the the. Two or is it Brett? No, no, Brett. Brett, Brett and Eric is yeah, his brother. Brett's Did you ever the watch, younger one? Yeah, yeah. Did you ever watch the those two talk about their flaw, their problem with the university? I, um, I remember the episode. I did listen to it. Yeah. Uh, because I was the exact point. <laughs> relative. Well, the the um, well the older brother Eric, um, his whole thing was universities when they first got really amazing in the United States and Canada was, it was like they had one professor teaching three students and mm-hmm. the growth rate, w- and it's like only 10% of the population was going. So the growth rate was really easy to keep track of that. And then yeah. post-World War II, it was like a dramatically larger percentage were going yeah. there. And they're like, well, we can't turn all these people into professors because mm-hmm. we still need to teach people after the fact. And they've kind of hit, yeah, like, yeah. they've kind of hit their maximum level of what oh, they it, can actually. No, no, it's even worse. It's uh, like with PhDs becoming yeah. professors. It's, I mean, a rough estimate I made on my department. You know, it's like twenty new PhDs every year, one professor hired. Yeah, you know, so you're you looking flooded at the market. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's massively flooded, and a lot of people don't even try. But yeah. those who do try, uh, the next step after a PhD is a postdoc, mm-hmm. where you're again working in some professor's lab, but you make around forty thousand dollars a year instead of twenty five, mm-hmm. and you don't have to teach. Yeah, <laughs> so there's no TA duties. You're just doing pure research, <laughs> and it's and there's a in an ideal world those last two to three years, and then you get a professorship. But right now they're stringing together, you know, five yeah. or more of these, and they're spending ten years in this limbo, moving around because each time you're switching universities, University. moving yeah. across the country, and yeah. <laughs> you know, ten years later, you're really not making all. You're extremely educated, uh, very experienced in some things, making forty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, <laughs> at forty years old. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know that is a, geez. you know, that is that is crazy. Where for your level of education and probably work ethic as well, you could be making <laughs> well, easily six figures somewhere. Yeah, else. Yeah, that's the but, thing is, is how uh, depending on like a the job and just how you dedicate to it. Because there are there are some people who, you know, you can meet guys who don't even have like who graduate who just graduate high school, just like like skin by high school, like they just mm-hmm. barely made it through. And, you know, they're like, they're running a construction company making like high six figures in four years. And they're like, I just figured out how to do this. Right. I saw somebody did some numbers, like average numbers, I think for Ohio or something like that. But it took four hypothetical people. One was a plumber. He became a plumber basically straight out of high school. Uh, One went on to become a doctor, just a general MD. Yeah. Two became teachers, one had a bachelor's, the other one had a master's. Mm -hmm. And then they looked at, and assuming they were tired in their 60s, Mm -hmm. who had the most disposable income 
in their life. Yeah. And uh, the doctor won by a hair over the plumber. Because <laughs> the plumber, I mean, because the plumber never took on debt. And yeah. that all counted against the doctor. And he was making money while the med students, you know, not making well, any money. Oh, yeah. That's and, the thing is, especially with med, med school, is like in the U.S., you take like $40,000 a year in debt, oh, if not it's more. insane. I mean, yeah, you're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. By, when you by come the time out. you graduate. Granted, you're making, especially in the States, you're making insane money. Yeah, but, but still, it's like it takes a while to make that back. Oh, yeah. Especially now that, uh, you know, student debt in the United States, uh, well, what is it? It's like all student loans in the United States are guaranteed by the federal government, and the only thing you can't default on. Yeah, yeah, which is, uh, I mean, it's a. Well, that's <laughs> a that's a, that's a brilliant Ponzi scheme if you're oh, yeah, the U.S. No. government, but you know you'll never get paid off. Oh yeah, I mean they well they should stop giving public public student loans. Oh, that's yeah. really it. I mean yeah. the government should just stop. You know if you want a student loan, go to a bank, and the bank will see. Yeah. Are your grades good? Is this a degree that's actually going <laughs> to allow you to yeah. pay this off? <laughs> yeah. And do you need to go to that Ivy League school, or could yeah. like the in-state school that's teaching the exact same program that actually exactly. has a higher success rate is yeah. more worthwhile? Yeah. Like um, they they were these guys who, I mean, John Stossel studied it, Reason studied it. They went to all these universities across the United States. All all of them were public universities and like you know you get to the huge ones like um, university of california and berkeley which is one of like the mm-hmm. top rated public schools in the world and they were going there and like look at all these insane amenities you can have like you know they got a like they went to one school they had a water park and stuff like that and it's like why why do they have this stuff like it's like, like i understand the climbing wall for geologists and guys like climbing mountains but mm-hmm. it's like you guys have a water park with water slides and a wave pool it's like, well, I need need to feel comfortable when I'm learning my things. I mean, it's like, that's... yeah, do you know how much you're taking on in debt every year? It's like, that's uh, about fifty six thousand dollars to go to this university. <laughs> and they they and they were talking to this the, this dean of another uh, president of another school down the, like this street, which was like the local community college that had the exact same programs, but was charging like a quarter of the rate. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and he's like, I, and they're like, so how do you charge quarter of the rate? It's like, a, I don't have insane amenities. Like, if people want to stay here, like. There's tons of communities here that will rent houses and basements out to them. So why do I build like giant infrastructure for right. that? I don't need to have like these insane spa days for my students. <laughs> and he's like, I know your teachers better. He's like, I'm I'm paying my my. Uh, and he's like, they asked the question, are your professors better? And he said, I'm paying my teachers, not professors. He didn't use the word professor. He yeah, because I'm paying my teachers more than that school is. Why? Because more of my money is going to making sure we have the gear that they want. Okay. He's like, I'm charging. A quarter of what that, that guy on the street are charging, but I'm getting a better outcome, and the people who graduate from here are getting better jobs. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> and it was another publicly funded university, but it's just they took a completely different approach. Like the yeah. president was like a ex bank manager. He's like, I cannot mm. run this and get have a red number at the end of my year. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I mean, it's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's go on to the um, other slide. Yeah, I mean, there's a few more free trade ones about like mobility and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, yeah, where am I? What's this about our economic union? Yeah. Uh, jurisdiction over natural. Oh yeah. Yeah. This well, cause this one's big on the pipeline. I, yeah. I don't think Kinder Morgan had pulled out of it at the time that this survey was done. No. So, uh, take that into account. But yeah. I mean, the question, do you support or oppose the ability of the federal government to build an infrastructure project under its jurisdiction and responsibility, even if one or more of the provinces impacted by the pro- by that project objects. Hmm. Uh, 
So overall, 58% of Canadians say that they support the federal government moving forward with infrastructure projects, you know, even if the province objects, including NBC, it was 54%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. Alberta was at, uh, yeah, Alberta's the highest 66. Six. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I, the, the pipeline thing was running at the time, time. So that could have been in people's minds. Yeah. I'm right there, but like, this is a good question. I guess for me, it would have to be like, what is the goal of the project? Like, what's the project? Is it like an energy pipeline? Is it a railroad? And is, is this project that they're overseeing, is it going mm. to be, is it going to eventually end up as a potential crown corporation, which is going to cost money in the long run? Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, Notley said she wants to turn the pipeline yeah, into wants to, her own thing. And that's like, yeah, wants, well, wants to invest, which that's, I mean, it's, that's like, well, well, she's desperate for votes. I mean, that, that's all it a, is. Well, that's the thing. It's like the Andy, <laughs> Like the NDP knows that they live or die in the pipeline succeeding, and I think well, they die. Well, they, they, they die either way. way. But just, I mean, if they happened. if they're gonna have any hope at all, yeah. they they need this. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, they well they've lost a lot of the counties because I know um, one of my friends who lives in um, Rocky View, his kids go to school there, mm. and they passed a law. Um, well, a the carbon tax that they passed, mm. plus they pa- taxed a law for rural um, communities that if the family is not within five kilometers of the school, they don't have to pay for busing. Like the family doesn't have to pay or the school doesn't have to pay? No, the family doesn't pay. The school has to pay. The school board has to pay for the busing. The family can't be charged for it. Oh. So it's like, Uh oh, well, you know, so that's... Well, but that's... Yeah. And this is Rocky. (laughs) That's Rocky. (laughs) Yeah. That's a... Yeah. It's kind of a... uh, acreage land but yeah exactly I mean, my point everyone lives five kilometers away, away from, <laughs> exactly and the thing was rocky view um had just for their fuel budget prior to that law being passed they had 1.6 million dollar surplus to pay for fuel in the negotiation with um sutherland mm-hmm. uh, i think it was sutherland bussing who had the mm-hmm. contract after that law got passed they're um they're like eight hundred thousand in debt and they hmm. know they're going to add another six hundred thousand this year Oh, to pay good. for to pay for the fuel cost for the buses because they can't because yeah. their next negotiation is at the end of this year so that's the end of their ten year term okay. and they're kind of like we have to renegotiate but we hope that those laws get taken away after that renegotiation so because mm-hmm. there were you know people who typically live in Rocky View County specifically in the northwest of Calgary in between Calgary and Cochrane a good portion of those people are in the high six to seven figure salary. There are, oh, yeah, there yeah. are farm families, but they definitely do have yeah, no, a good a lot, amount of money. Those people there are loaded. Yeah. But, yeah they yeah. have enough money. That, like, and my friend who was there, he's like, all these fa- families are like, can I bring, t- p- can I t- pull out my checkbook and pay the fuel cost for my kid for the year? And yeah. the Rocky County is like, we legally can't take that. You can write that. <laughs> and if we take it, we'll be sued by the, fe- by the provincial Ugh. government for s- taking your money illegally. It's like, yeah. That rule might work in a city where most of the kids who decide to get bust are within five kilometer yeah, radius. Yeah, well, a lot of them are pretty close. But but it's... in a rural area, that's and Rocky View is just one. Imagine what all most of the other ones are probably like. We're in debt now because we can't afford the fuel costs. Yeah, no, it's that's insane. Oh, uh, healthcare wait list. Uh, oh yeah, because um, the CCF right now they're in their part or uh, yeah they're running the. Uh, legal case for the Camby Clinic, mm-hmm. which is a private clinic yeah. uh, near Vancouver mm. or in Vancouver. Uh, 
not sure the whole story behind it. Cause for a long time, actually the government, like even NDP governments were actually kind of happy with the Canby clinic because mm-hmm. overall they would save uh, the government money, money. mostly yeah. on uh, workers' compensation board mm-hmm. stuff because mm-hmm. uh, rather than just having the person wait. Oops, sorry. <laughs> well, this is my text message, which is the sound of an A10 cannon. Okay. Yeah. Right. So then rather than, you know, having somebody wait for treatment in the public system, taking workers' compensation the entire time, costing the government, you know, tons of money the employer would just pay to get the person treated at the Canby clinic and then it would be, you know, quick and easy. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah. save some money. Yeah. But it might have been part of the nurses union they went after because oh, yeah. the nurses there weren't unionized. And yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and But he was also saying like the BC government's playing real uh, dirty with this whole thing. Like they're, they know the CCF has limited funds. Yeah. So they're basically trying to stretch it out as long as they oh, can. Oh yeah. So kind of do the, um, like we have enough money to stretch out this legal case. So you basically. Guys... And one making them do stupid things like, uh, like the government came up with some yeah. objection. Yeah. Which the CCF, then they had to go hire an expert and turned out the, ex- the only good expert was in New Zealand to write up uh, a, a report. And that's like I... 20 grand. And then oh, they had to man. fly the guy all the way in here, yeah. here for the court date. And like right before, like, you know, the guy's already here, they withdraw their objection. Uh, so the whole thing, you know, like tens of thousands of dollars just down the drain for nothing. Jeez. Uh, you know. Yeah. Now, now, granted, if the CCF wins, the government has to pay <laughs> that all back. those fees back out of our tax money. But, but yeah, that's always the problem is like you, you sue the government, like somebody at the government does something wrong. You sue the government. It's like, yeah, but it's you and all the taxpayers that are paying for it in the end it's like you sued yeah. you won but a part of your own You're money comes back to you it. yeah <laughs> well cause, yeah because it is the law i think it can't like if you sue and you win they pay your legal fees, fees. Or something. yeah that's one of the main reasons why our legal system isn't as yeah. quite crazy quite right. crazy as the but United anyway uh, so like the question on the healthcare wait lists uh, agree or disagree the charter should allow patients who have been on provincial healthcare wait lists longer than the maximum recommended waiting period for their condition to pay for private treatment and nationwide 76 percent agree mm-hmm. uh yeah. the max is bc and quebec Actually. they're at 80 percent. alberta's only 70 <laughs> which i am disappointed in yeah that, that's uh, uh well probably edmonton's a big p- maybe for that <laughs> yeah quebec apparently he was saying that uh the healthcare system's not as big a part of the quebec identity it I would not be surprised not as I, much as because I think the thing with Quebec is the healthcare system is seen as a federal thing and okay. therefore Quebecers generally don't like it as the scene is okay. like even just, though it is a provincial thing yeah it's just but, but it's like the federal law makes them have okay. to pay for it so I think okay, it's like so that's th- th- that would at least be my interpretation of how okay. Quebec views yeah. it yeah again it's like, I'm surprised about Alberta but at the same time I was like mm. Alberta does have a string of socialist belief in us yeah somewhere in there i mean it's well the farmers are kind of weird in some ways like they they will sometimes go left wing in some cases and it's it's yeah farm well not to say anything bad about farmers because they grow the food but it's like you guys you guys (laughs) spend all the time complaining about the government stepping on you guys and like making you do all these ridiculous regulations and then it's like but I want to, but I, like I want you guys off my land. But I want you to pay for my healthcare. It's like, yeah, yeah no, it's, it's I, I I want to do a study, and I, I, probably these guys might have already done it or might know it. But how many um, 
government hospitals in Alberta, in Canada have um, lotteries or charities assigned to them. Because if it was like the vast majority, I would say, so obviously single payer isn't working if we're having to raise money externally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Because I was talking to a friend about like the Foothills Hospital having theirs because that's how they help pay for their new expansion and like the MRI machines they keep, they need to buy because they only are allowed to buy so many a year through the mm. provincial funds. So to do repairs, okay. they have to privately get that. And I'm like, well, if single payer worked as well as it should this they wouldn't have to raise external funds yeah no it's i think i mean i've heard with uh like at least with publicly funded healthcare, like, like there's sort of three things like people want in a healthcare system they want it to be affordable they want it to be fast they want it to be high quality yeah a single payer will only ever get you two yeah you know so we i mean we got decent quality and it's affordable it just it Not takes fast. forever yeah you know um and the thing is like other than north korea Canada has the most restrictive healthcare system in the world right now because it's really <laughs> yeah no, I mean we're the only one where it's technically against the law to pay for healthcare like yeah like, even like Sweden you know yeah I mean yeah. you know the socialist paradise they have a lot of private healthcare yeah uh, Switzerland yeah. I, I don't think has any public I think or something yeah. like that it, or, it's, or it's very very private well I, I well i know that just typically switzerland is everything really expensive in switzerland so and i think that well switzerland prides itself on its own independence so i wouldn't be surprised. yeah because it's i don't think they have much of a state apparatus for welfare it won't it won't be national because i've heard like yeah, uh, the, the like, cantons there are so independent like nobody yeah. really knows what the national government is yeah. like the average person <laughs> yeah well the only thing i know about switzerland that's national is is it's impossible to get citizenship if you're not born to two swiss parents because uh t- no they can there was well the thing is like so there is a system i think where you can get voted in except except it requires 50 percent of all the swiss citizens to vote you in and no and no way will they do that or even like your local area because uh, I heard there, there was some animal rights activist, I heard she tried that and failed because yeah. she had been campaigning relentlessly to well, here's re- the thing, it's like remove one, cowbells from cows. One, and <laughs> One of my professors actually knew the system because he lived in Switzerland for okay. seven years and he considered doing it. And the his um, immigration lawyer says, so first what you have to do is you have to live here for X number of years. Like mm-hmm. it's normally five years or whatever. Right. You have to write an autobiography describing how your important connection to Switzerland and how like you can't live your life without having a swiss citizenship you then have to get that put to a ballot measure and that ballot measure isn't just in your canton it's in the entire country oh and then 51 percent of swiss citizens have to vote yes on you it's like (laughs) you will never get that the guy said like the only way to get it is birthright is like through through being born through swiss parents and he's like technically you can do it if one of the parents is swiss but somebody can take you to court and have it removed no. If they think that you haven't spent enough time here. So I've got family friends who are living in Switzerland right now. And, and they had their, um, they just had their, uh, they just had a baby daughter a year and a half ago. And they were all like, she worked great. She, when she gets born, she's going to be Swiss. And I just ca- quietly commented on my mother, like, you better tell her that that's not happening. Yes. And then they came home last year for Christmas. And it was like, so what's this? And she's like, she's Canadian because we can't get Swiss. And like, we can't have her apply for Swiss citizenship until she's at least 18. Yeah, <laughs> and like, and it's like, yeah, uh, and I was then reading like at the same time, like, yeah, good luck with that because nobody born in Switzerland who didn't who wasn't born with Swiss citizenship has successfully applied for that yeah. in fifty years. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's why it's different than 
I mean, like, yeah, and they don't even do the anchor baby thing. Cause it's, yeah. Well, the United States is the only country in the world that has that birthright citizenship. Uh, no, Canada does it too, I think. I heard partially some, there we, was. There, there's rules about it. Like, the U.S., okay. it, the US, you have to have a parent that's mm-hmm. Canadian. In the U.S., you can be anybody. As long as you're born in the United States, you become an American. Because I heard there was, a, there was sort of like a vacation baby thing. That was being run like in Richmond or somewhere. Like it was hmm. like they had like Chinese connections. A lot of like wealthy Chinese women were coming when they were like eight months yeah. pregnant. Yeah, because I've then heard having that's their babies in California here. as well. Yeah, California or and, and in Florida yeah. with uh, Russians. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wonder. Okay, that might be BC. There might Maybe be a BC's. ruling that allows that allows that through Canada, but. I generally. I mean, they heard... they had like they had like special like immigration lawyers and stuff like that. Like it was kind of a shady system that that's probably an underground network to get it all through. And it was yeah yeah because I know for the ones in California, even when the immigration attorney, even when like ICE and Customs at Border were on them, they're like, once that kid gets born, we can deport the parents, but the kid has to stay because the kid is Canadian is American right. at at like at birth. Yeah, it's just like. I think in the United States, the only way it doesn't apply is if the parents choose not to. The parents have the right to choose at oh, birth. Oh, you can choose not to? You can, oh. you can choose for your kid to have it rescinded so mm-hmm. you can bring them back to your own country. Because it's potential of like, um, the way that that is written is if like, let's say you're from a country where if you're an American traveling there, taking an American citizen there would be detrimental to being an American citizen oh, okay. versus living there. That's like the reason why. Yeah, I highly doubt anyone. Because it's hard to give that. up. A, it's hard to get rid of a U.S. citizenship. Yeah. Uh, well, because well, they now want to. Pay, they now want you to pay all the taxes off prior to it. Yeah. Because it was uh, yeah all the taxes and stuff and it costs like the fee is huge too. Yeah. And it's uh, versus the Canadian system I've heard is very easy. I mean, yeah. they make sure you've paid all your taxes, taxes. and then other than that, it's just a yeah. form. And because yeah. Ted Cruz had that issue. I mean, yeah, he just because he the was document. born here. Yeah, in Calgary. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Lived a few blocks from where I do, apparently. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Oh, great hate speech! Another area I love. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, the hate speech. Uh, agree or disagree? The charter, uh, the charter right to free speech should protect even so-called hate speech. That's uh, a really... nationwide sixty-two percent disagree. That's a concerning statistic. <laughs> yeah, no, I think. I mean, it's. I, I mean. No, because it was hate speech, like on all the hate laws that, that first turned me on to libertarianism. Yeah. Because, like, as a Christian, I was like, you know, the way I saw it going at the time, I was sort of like, you know what, it won't be long until simply being a Christian will be considered a hate crime. Yeah. And it, you know, yeah. like, I don't like this. Versus, and libertarians are very, you know, well, yeah. if they don't agree with you, they'll, you know, at least to act, you know, yeah. argue for your right to have that position. And Yeah, that's, I know. It's, I've always been concerned about just like the the like I didn't even hate speech has been around for a while like you know just in the lexicons of Western civilization and stuff like that but I didn't even realize it was a thing until about university when people were bringing it up like it wasn't until my third year when people are like oh you might be saying something hate speech and I the biggest reason I know about that was because um, at the University of Calgary there was a um, um, somebody running for there was a Muslim girl running for science rep um, who ran all the time. She was always running for science rep. Though. Okay. Uh, I forget her name. I think it was Alma something. Or something. It was like 2009, 2010. 
Sure, 2000. Oh, it's 2011. That's right. I know the guy who um, actually, like, she had her, like, signs to face with swastikas mm-hmm. and uh, Muslims and uh, 9-11. And no. Bin Laden was right and stuff like this. I know the guy who did that. He was a hardcore <laughs> Muslim. Like, he, he was, like, actually an extremist. <laughs> he was an extremist, but he was doing it as a joke against her because he wow. knew she, was, she wasn't. She was, like... Okay. Even though she wore the um, yeah, we wore the, the hijab, but yeah. I, I mean, it's yeah, it's but it's like I met that guy. and I'm like, are you, like, do you actually believe in like the Sharia law? He's like, no, no, no. But I'm like, I am really cr- honestly a crazy Muslim. <laughs> and then it's like, and then when the university came out, it's like that's hate speech. I'm like, okay, this is concerning. It was also the um, anti-abortion group that used to go to the university. Yeah, yeah. Do they still? I don't even know if they still. I have them. no idea. I mean, it was it was towards the end. When I was there, yeah, I mean, they had a bunch of issues, but I think yeah. they were still there. Yeah, because the last uh, thing I remember was at one point they had, um, they were going, they ha- they couldn't be on the, they weren't on the yard. They were actually in one of the halls, um, one of the main hallways at McEwen Hall. Uh, the only thing I remember about that was one of my friends walked by them and then like down the next hallway, like um, downstairs right across from the UFC bookstore, there was the pro-abortion group giving mm-hmm. out bloody coat hangers. He's like... Okay. okay. Like, if you guys want to be outrageous, fine. But like, like I think this is more offensive. Yeah, no. It's, I never fully agreed with their tactics of like just putting up like the pictures like that. Like, I'm not sure how effective it was. Yeah. But, well, yeah. like shock value works to get people's attention. Well, I guess but people's does it, attention does it, does it but change their mind. Does it change minds? So. That, that was always no. it. You know. No, I think like debate is generally a better way to do it yeah but even like hate laws in general i just don't like them because it's at the end of the day you are charging somebody with a crime because of what's in their head yeah and that's well you're yeah you're 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 prescribing intent to somebody that you don't know it's like yeah or well i mean even if they are full of hate it's it's you know i I mean uh, but then you shouldn't be a crime you know i mean if they do something like they kill someone okay it's murder they vandalize it's vandalism you know it's yeah it's also yeah that's why i've always been it's like that the idea of the hate crime is like you know if a dude shoots a dude it shouldn't matter what color the dude he shot Mm. was or what color of skin he is it's like that's murder no matter that's like assault or murder if he actually kills the guy yeah it shouldn't matter who his victim was the only time that that should matter is if it's a group of people he's sought out to kill and he publicized he was going to do it and the government and everyone looked away he's like that will never happen but then that's not a cri- that's not a crime that's just an act of yeah that's almost no. more of an act of war yeah at that point i mean it's like that uh the f- youtube shooter like, like the police actually found her the day before yeah like it, well like her family notified them prior. yeah and, and like she had driven like eight hours or something to where yeah. the headquarters were and they found Word. her sleeping in her car it's like you know like you just you know can't you just like search her you know it's like you know hey what's up you know yeah why <laughs> why, why are you here <laughs> like she was crazy enough when you watch her video she probably would have honestly said like i'm gonna shoot up youtube maybe probably, like it's... although that although some lawyer probably would have been able to say like that's entrapment <laughs> yeah or something but it's like yeah yeah, I don't know. It's uh, that the amazing thing about that one was how quickly that one left the news once they found out who she was. Well, yeah, yeah, because she's like really left wing, basically. Well, she or, was like the well, exa- she was she was everything that Parkland wasn't, so they yeah. didn't want to talk about her. Exactly, and then it dropped right away, and then <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's crazy that hate speech laws are like that support. I would have thought. Um, I understand mm. why Quebec's so low on it because they do have a slightly weirder thing but yeah still... well i think yeah <laughs> well i mean to a certain extent yeah <laughs> hating the rest of canada's part they, of the culture they, they, yeah <laughs> yeah 
But it, yeah, yeah, I could have. Yeah, because I'm I, I'm almost like I guess I technically am a free speech absolute lutist because it's like you know I I could bring up the fact people say like you can't say fire in a crowded theater. It's like well that was used in the U.S. Supreme Court thing to stop the distribution of socialist propaganda saying don't get involved in World War One. No, okay. that um, was the actual case. It was like you can't the, the Supreme Court justice said like you can't sh- shout fire in a crowd theater and not expect somebody to get hurt and it was actually to stop like these socialists handing out like don't get involved in world war one it's not worth it (laughs) i mean it's yeah like i've read a bit of uh murray rothbard Mm -hmm. like one of his like he actually brought it up as something like if somebody yells fire in a crowded theater you could sue that person then yeah for the injury well for injuries as well you bought a ticket to whatever the theater was showing and now you didn't get to view it because of this guy at you know yeah there's 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 civil avenues that you can take to get there are and no doubt the the not only would the the theater probably sue him for disruption of profits and like have it cost yeah or something but they would probably also like ban him from the premises yeah their legal right yeah like there's so much of this stuff is so easily taken care of and other means but just like we got to have the hammer of government come down mm-hmm. on it and you know unfortunately the government which usually is a hammer everything is a nail it has to hit yep <laughs> although like a no-eyed carpenter it hits everything but it what's supposed to <laughs> <laughs> it's windy yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the old joke hammering nail uh, dad always say it every time i miss a nail hammer it's like oh is it windy <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one Oh yeah, speech uh, praising terrorism. Like, yeah. Yeah. The charter right to free speech should protect uh, should protect speech that praises terrorists or acts of terrorism. Seventy two percent nationally disagree. Yeah, okay, that's also mm. concerning. Uh, particularly, mm. my stance on that one. I'm looking at it, is that the problem with that one is depending on who's doing what to what, mm. the Canadian Armed Forces could very well be seen as terroristic. Yeah, it's a, mm-hmm. like it's you know the, the definition of terrorism is using violent actions to achieve a political means. Well, that's what most militaries were post World War One. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. So depending, does that mean that if our forces over in Syria, if they shoot a guy and he comes to Canada, he can sue a, the Canadian government for a terrorist action? I mean, mm-hmm. technically, he should be able to. It would yeah. be impossible, but under Canadian law of anti-terrorism, it probably would work. Mm-hmm. Especially after that guy who came back from yeah, Guantanamo got, yeah, yeah, it was cheaper to pay him out than pay the lawyers. I don't know about that, but I do understand why. <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't like the decision, but no, I mean maybe it was cheaper to go that way. I mean, well, my thing. I mean, is, it's a my it's a thing. Yeah, weird situation because it's it's like it, there's he's like he was in a bad he was in Afghanistan he was caught in the battlefield. It's like okay. But he was also subjected to U.S. interrogation, which is in that great. And he was, you know, his his father, who was involved in that, took him over there. And whether he believed it or not, he kind of got he got a raw end of the deal, no matter what happened. True. I mean, I'll, um, I mean, he, I mean, just a potential counter argument there. It's like you know, somebody grows up there. Yeah. And then you know, so they, I mean, technically, they just got a raw deal right at birth. Yeah. And then, uh, and then they grow up and become an extremist. You know, yeah. is that? <laughs> yeah. You know. I mean, that, yeah. Does it? Does like in the right now? But it's mm-hmm. at the same time. It's it's just 
that case, every time I look at it, I think of like another reason why my original thought of like we shouldn't pay him or like why he deserved what he got like gets flawed. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's there's too much here. There's too many variables. Like even if his story's full of BS, if he didn't if he didn't possess a firearm when he got captured, it does kind of change the thing. I mean, gr- yeah. <laughs> Although he may have thrown a grenade, I thought I heard something. Like I think that. He I, don't th- know. I think he yes. I think the claim was he threw a grenade that was a dud or like he oh, didn't pull okay. the pin but if if you were in then even like me being a pro military guy even then if you were scared like you know person who's never been in that situation and you mm-hmm. you grab something that you think is going to help and you throw it like you know yeah. it, it's, not, yeah, it's not it's not inconceivable that he didn't fully understand what he was doing when he did it he's like oh, yeah. crap i'm scared throw something yeah no i mean there's lots there's, of ways it could go there's yeah but, speech criticizing religion yeah uh, charter right to free speech should protect speech that criticizes specific religions. Uh, that's weird. Fifty six percent nationally agree. That's weird. Atlantic Canada, so one way. I mean, yeah. Saskatchewan and Manitoba. Wow, you guys as well. Yeah, and I mean BC is the high one there, sixty eight percent. Yeah. Well, agree. I'm suspecting that BC thinks that they're criticizing one specific religion. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that depends. Also, it's uh, yeah. Oh, I think, yeah, I think it was, I mean, I was talking about it with somebody before, I think it's, or like after, after the meeting, (laughs) I think it was on the hate speech one or something like that. If you, like how the questions were presented, because that's a big thing with these studies. It's like how the question is presented. It's, oh yeah. People tend to look for agreement Mm -hmm. in things. So I like, it's a common marketer thing. Like they'll try to get you to agree to a number of statements. So like the way the question is worded, I mean, I guess they worded it right. Agree or disagree. Yeah. That's a good way to start it. But if they just said like, do you agree that? Yeah. Well, it's like the whole, um, that will increase your agree score a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's like there, there is, um, the whole wordsmith idea of how you can write a question two different ways and have two completely different answers mm-hmm. from the same person just because yeah. of the slight change in wording. Yeah. And it's, just, it's, you know, pollsters. And, and it's the same thing too. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. like if you do like the criticizing a religion one, if that one was presented first ahead of the hate speech Each, one or something like that, probably or, or the terrorist might, one even, might I mean, that, that, that could change some, your results a lot. Yeah. Especially the terrorism one. Now suddenly Islam's on the mind. And then they get the criticizing a religion one. Now that okay, should we <laughs> you know, okay, criticize like, the religion that seems to be yeah, at least like, more associated yeah, with that? Right, because if they just like if they're like okay, criticize Christianity or criticize Islam, is that two qu- different yeah. questions to people and whatever's on their yeah. mind at the time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but definitely the asking the question in the order you ask the question changes mm-hmm. a lot. Of that. Yeah. Property rights. Well, it's good that uh, yeah, would you that they support would... or oppose a change in the to the Canadian Constitution that adds the protection of property rights to the Charter? No, that's ninety percent agree. See, yeah, that's good. And then I mean, define property rights, rights. too, because I think he brought up also things like time and money. Yeah, <laughs> you know, which, well, yeah, I, I mean, that's I, your I, I property. Do, yet, do you agree uh, you with know. that? I mean, technically. Mm-hmm. They should define like property some more because there is a, um, at least in Ontario, I know if I haven't, I've never heard of it in Cant, Alberta happening, but um, Ontario, the Ontario Provincial Police being really zealous in um, enforcing uh, gun laws oh, yeah. and how um, 
So there was a case I remember reading about uh, this guy who lived north of Thunder Bay. He had this really nice antique firearms collection, and he had a, a room in his basement with mm-hmm. a safe door, except it was to an exterior wall that was um, wasn't like, like it was a cinder block wall. It okay. was to the exterior, so it wasn't as well built as it should have been. Right. So these guys broke into the house using the cinder broke through the cinder right. blocks to steal some of his guns. He came home like two days later because he was on a hunting trip. Called the police. The OPP showed up, took his report, and then charged him with not. Um, in pro- not safely storing mm-hmm. his firearms because they broke through the wall and so like the wall was broken while you were gone you have left your firearms exposed to the public that's not proper oh there stored. was still stuff in the safe or? yeah they only oh. took like four guns and they're like oh, okay. so a lot of the other ones were just like you know like only collectors would know what they were so they wouldn't go to like you wouldn't you couldn't take mm-hmm. them to a pawn shop and sell them they were like a specific serial number that was oh, okay important. right so. and he's like so wait because they broke into my house i'm getting charged with improperly storing my guns like, yeah, you are. Yeah, it's the... Well, it's the thing, like, you know, you defend your house from a robber and stab him, and then he sues you and yeah. <laughs> and yeah. wins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which is, Which, yeah. I mean, my understanding is the way the law is written in Canada, you can use necessary force to protect your property, or, or if you, yeah. like, employ somebody to protect your property or something, mm-hmm. they can do it on your yeah. behalf. But in practice, the way it's... Well, the, the problem used. it goes to is, um, like, the police are generally more on the side of the homeowner. Like, okay. like um, I, I don't know about Alberta, but again, one of my friends from Ontario told me that if you drew a firearm on somebody who robbed your house, the police would come and say, like, good job, but question number one, how did you get your gun mm-hmm. out of one safe? How did you get the ammo out of the other safe and load it into your gun so quickly? Right. Like, that's the line of questioning just because the prosecutor mm-hmm. would want that. And I, and he's like, so, Justin, how would you solve that problem here in Alberta? It's like, I have an easy ish, I have an easy solution. Guns on my side of the bed. Ammo's on the wife's side of the bed. She unlocks her safe. Uh, I unlock mine. <laughs> ready to go in five seconds flat. Right. It's like... You know, that, yeah, that'd the, be quick and the easy, police yeah. would be like, okay, never mind. Yeah. And I, had a, I have a friend who lives in, um, in Cochrane who had his, uh, he runs a landscaping business and he had one of his, um, well, he almost had one of his, uh, bobcats stolen and he chased the guy down. Like the guy was messing around and he spotted the guy and chased him down and, and the <laughs> Cochrane RCMP were kind of like, Listen, you're not like he said. Like, if you ever try to go into my house again and attack me, I will use deadly force. And the Cochrane mm-hmm. police are like, "You shouldn't say that." And he's like, "But are you actually gonna like charge mm-hmm. me with threatening?" He's like, "I'm trying to steal your thing." It's like, "No, we're not. We wouldn't bother doing that." It's like, <laughs> just you shouldn't have told me that because if he doesn't, you shoot me. Like, I now have grounds to like this might have been premeditated. Oh, okay. He's <laughs> like, and I don't want to have to tell you it was premeditated. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, it's crazy. The other one was, did you read the case? I think it was in New Brunswick where a guy um, shot the robber dead and then they spent, or no, he shot and injured him, but he, Mm -hmm. um, he then like the uh, RCMP confiscated all his firearms and charged him with deadly force because the guy who came into his house had a, had a gun as well. It was like, you killed him. It was like, well, it's because he came in with a gun and I shot him. (laughs) It's like, he was going to kill me. I was going to kill him. It's, I, you know. Yeah. Canada's one of the countries where it's like I'd Canada's almost becoming to the point where firearms owners would be like I'd the phrase in the U.S. is I'd rather be judged by twelve than carried by six. It's like well Canada's Canada government's more like <laughs> be carried by six instead of being judged by twelve. Yeah. Like although most most citizens would be like he broke into your house. Yeah, you kind of had the right to defend yourself. Yeah, I mean Britain's going crazy now. 
Hey, you let's ban the knives. You can't even have knives. I mean, it's, you need to be 18 years old to buy like a plastic knife. disposable knife. knife. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't worry. The forks are going to solve that issue. And then we're oh. and what happens when they figure out the spoons are great for taking brains out? Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just like it. It's ridiculous. If my biggest response to prohibitions of any items is if it worked, the prohibition in the 30s in the United States would have kept going. Or the prohibition of alcohol in the twenties would have would have it right, would have yeah. never been repealed if it had worked. But instead, yeah. we saw the largest increase in crime in the U.S. history yeah. after that. Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Interesting I don't know. I mean, there's I mean, there's a bunch of other ones. There's affirmative action, mm. uh, rights for the unborn, that's... minimum income. Minimum. Oh, that's, yeah, that's... should the charter should guarantee a minimum for all Canadians? Seventy-five <laughs> percent agree. That's concerning. Because <laughs> uh, the biggest concern with that one is in just in the reality of everywhere has a different standard of living, no matter what. It's like, yeah, it's like is this minimum of income based on owning an apartment building downtown Vancouver? Cause in which case I will gladly sign up for that. Cause that's a lot of money living in Alberta. Mm. But if it's based on, but it, that's a different scenario for if, let's say you are living in Vancouver, but they base that income on, Hey, you're going to live in car in, um, you know, Airdrie where all the services mm. are really easy to access and everything's really cheap. Yeah. So you're only getting $10 an hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like that. Yeah, well, and it's like even the uh, like a universal basic income thing. We had the talk at the libertarian meetup. Uh, like he just even went through some basic numbers, and yeah. like you can add up the whole federal budget and all the provincial budgets, and universal basic income would cost more than that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's 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 insane because it's just. The biggest problem I have with the university, universal basic income thing is, is that people assume that with mechanization of jobs that we're not going to have any other jobs. So there was a mm. report done in the United States um, between 2014 and 2016, all the jobs that were replaced with robots, specifically mm. assembly line work. So it, they figured out that those robots took away 300,000 jobs from the American people. Mm-hmm. To maintain those robots, added 3.3 million jobs. It's like, <laughs> so obviously, yeah, we're, I mean, we're, and those 3.3 million, we're paying more than those 300,000 were. Yeah. In just, Cause, well, because you're more productive now because each robot's doing more than work. one person. And, exactly. And it's a, like, you know, we're going to, yeah. it's not going to be, people are going to be sitting around yeah. doing nothing. People will have other things to do mm-hmm. and people will be able to market that. It was one of the, it's one of the reasons why like Japan and Germany, mm-hmm. they're able to have like, you know, fully developed economies, but still have a lot of manufacturing. Whereas the U S and Canada didn't, mm-hmm. it's the price of machines and stuff like that were cheaper there than the labor. Yeah. So they invested in the machines, mm-hmm. but as a result, they can pay their laborers more because each labor is now more productive because they're using more and better machines yeah. versus uh, North America. The machines were more expensive. The labor was cheap. There was no investment in the machines. Yeah. And then as well, the whole union culture Fight, yeah. also, you know, wouldn't yeah. allow it. And then, but as a result now, you know, we're, the individual labor is extremely unproductive. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the machines are like yeah. machine costs, even though they're high, still outdo the production of oh, a regular person yeah. who make, who may cost like nothing to that, but it's just not worth it. Yeah. I definitely see that. I mean, a good way to say that is, is um, Canada, you know, we used to have a company in Canada that made TVs, like Zenith used to make TVs here in mm-hmm. Canada. They were a Canadian-owned TV company, not Canada-owned, but they were Canadian. 
they don't exist anymore. Why? Because it was cheaper to buy TVs from Panasonic and Sony that were 10 times better and half the price. Yeah. <laughs> Even and though they made Canadian... in Japan too. Yeah. It's... You're made in Japan. <laughs> and my dad told me that when he remembers when Sony first came over to Canada and first started selling TVs, how he had a friend who worked in a, um, a, a he was a distributor for Sony mm-hmm. and he worked on that. And he also was a distributor for Zenith. Somehow he got both licenses and he's like, I didn't. Do... And we asked him, how do you do that? He's like, I just didn't tell which I didn't tell the other one I was selling for the other guy. It's like, I just did apply for both and refused to tell them I was selling their competitor stuff. Mm. I'm like, so how much did the Sony cost? It's like for me to buy. And he told us Sony was cheaper to buy, but it costs more to import because the Canadian government had tariffs on it to defend Senna. He's like, he's like, so you pay the same price for the Sony TV versus the Senna TV because of taxes that they forced on it. But the Sony TV will last four times longer and is 10 times better. Yeah. <laughs> so why buy the Zenith TV? Yeah. No, and no. and we like do you do you tell that to all your customers? He was like, yep. And I was like, so have they all switched? He's like, no, it's still fifty fifty, because people like the pride of buying with the Canadian flag on. It's the same with the United States, like built in America. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. It was, uh, the patriotic belief is great, except it is inefficient in some cases. Yeah, I heard uh, like Rona recently sold to Lowe's and yeah. switched over. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost a lot of business. Yeah like right when they sold because it was like people were willing to pay a bit of a premium to go to rona because it was a canadian company but now yeah. it's you have to go to home depot where it's cheaper <laughs> yeah well that's the thing is um you know lowe's in the united states and home depot are actually in two different markets because home okay. depot is regular supply and okay. lowe's is considered the like the upper class house provider and stuff like okay. that even yeah though, even though it's generally the same stuff it's just like the quality of build they view lowe's was higher than home depot okay so mm-hmm. that's how or lowe's maybe markets more towards more of like a consumer level mm, that's true too like, like that. it's more of like the the way how home depots i've heard home depot like i've heard from contractors here that they're really nice yeah to work with oh both of them are pretty nice so the the thing was what i learned is, is that um home depot in the u.s it was more expensive to get the raw material. So like wood was more expensive mm-hmm. from home people in the U S but tools were cheaper versus okay. Lowe's. It was cheaper to buy the wood, but it was more expensive to buy the tools. <laughs> it was like, that's how they broke down. And that was the same with Rona is like Rona. It was way cheaper to buy like pallets of wood from Rona it was mm-hmm. cheaper than home Depot, but you go to Rona to buy a drill. It's mm-hmm. a little bit more expensive, even if it's the exact same Makita that you could buy in home Depot, it was right. like 20% off at home Depot all the <laughs> time. It's interesting. Yeah, it was just like my friends were contractors. Like when I was building this place, I had four other guys who were, they only, like we would only buy stuff from the Rona down the street. Um, and, and, well, that is a, that is a bone ass because we had, a, we had, my family's been buying there since it used to be Totem, which takes us back a long way. We've had an account there for 20 years. We know the family there, um, one of the guys who were, works there is like good friends with us we're like sure we'll, we'll keep buying from these guys and they kept giving us good deals and they would give us contractor like they had a special contractor grade deal if you went in in the contractor you could get tools from rona if you were a contractor with the license and it's all signed up there the same price as home depot would sell them to the consumer okay that was the difference like if you were a regular consumer walking in it was a little more expensive to buy tools hmm. i we we asked around and it's the Rona guys were like, that's just how it is. The other thing that helped is Home Depot also was better at renting equipment because <laughs> you can rent like little Kubotas and stuff. But but that was just, you know, that's just my experience. The, the whole thing is also, it was like, 
I think Lowe's in the U.S. more goes towards the Renault crowd, like the family who owns the house and wants to right. renovate it to look nicer. Home Depot's like, this is our first go. Okay. Yeah. At least that's my experience. Yeah. With they both serve the same purpose. But, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean that's smart on their part though to yeah. try to go to a little sub niche because you don't want to be uh, directly competing. Yeah. You know, if you can have your own little thing, they're both better off. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like yeah. Um, what was one uh, thing? Do you ever um, do you ever read about the uh, merger between uh, Tim Hortons and Bart and Burger King? No, uh, was it, no, was it Burger? No, is the Brazilian company that owns Burger King bought Tim Hortons or something? Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. But the crazy thing was Tim Hortons and Burger King had so like their sales were almost the exactly the same in profit. Mm-hmm. Tim Hortons had a quarter of the stores that Burger King. Had. Oh, and it was like, okay, um, how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's at. Uh, I was recently at the university now because they had two Tim Hortons in the food court. Yeah, like, I remember Almost that. beside each other. And it's actually three now. It's it's two full Tim Hortons, Hortons. And in between, it's like a Tim Hortons Express. Which is, yeah. <laughs> just like, Well, because, yeah, whenever you show up there, like, either really early in the morning or, like, at lunch, it was just lined up yeah, down the well, street. Well, that's the thing. They had two full stores and with both with huge lineups. <laughs> and they still couldn't do it. Yeah. I know. That was the thing. It's like you go to Mac and it's like it's just those ones are crazy and then all the other places were like you know he had two or three people lined up at max and they're all st- and everyone's staring at Tim Hortons like what what's special about that yeah yeah <laughs> i do remember when my brother went there they apparently had um the first year he went to the university of calgary was a crazy year because they had just forced mcdonald's to leave like the mcdonald's had apparently been in met oh it's been a while ago yeah he's five years older than me so oh, okay so he um he, uh, when they forced them to leave, he's like, that was the biggest, like, everyone was really happy McDonald's had left. Mm-hmm. It's just like when McDonald's leaves, like, a mall food court, it's like, all of a sudden, every other option becomes available to everyone else. Okay, yeah. It was like, they did a study for Market Mall when McDonald's got forced out after the expansion of their food court just right. how the profitability of all the other ones went up <laughs> it's like they had they had these people who would shop at the mall every week and they're like so now that McDonald's is gone it's just like they'd walk by and it's like what other food stores like I didn't even know you guys had a subway it's like that subway has been here for 10 years <laughs> it's like you just you, you would just see the arches and be like that's all I'm gonna have it, yeah. yeah I was like going to uh, I mean if I gotta eat a food court it's usually like the those Asian places Usually yeah. ones that aren't a big chain because they tend to give way more food. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. You, they load you up pretty good with like the noodles or rice or whatever. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. There was, have you ever found a place? Cause I've, uh, I eat a place in Vegas where they, you would order the food and it comes in a skillet that you could like, it would either be mostly cooked, but then you could continue cooking it oh, if okay. you wanted. And me and my dad ate there and it was like really good, like 20 American dollars, but you would get like 10 nice pieces of steak, mm-hmm. like, Tons of noodles and like any vegetables you want thrown on. It's like it was, it was like a full like really good meal for okay. it. And I'm like, yeah, I remember eating there. And like, there has to be somewhere in Calgary doing this. If not, there needs to be because mm-hmm. this is like, I think Calgarians would It'd appreciate. Be a nice, that. One. it was like Bolero's, almost like that. But yeah, it's forty five bucks. It was slow. I didn't like it there. Yeah. It was, like it's lots of meat, but. They always got to come around. They cut off just a tiny piece for you. And See, it's for like, this one, it's like you order it. It comes out in five minutes exactly how you want. And it's like okay. it takes – and the guy's like, do you want me to cook the meat for you or do you want to do it yourself? <laughs> and it takes like 10, 20 seconds for the meat to get cooked to the temperature you want it to. Okay. 
And the only reason I knew when we were in Vegas to go and eat this place is because um, I was in Taipei for literally one day uh, in Taiwan, and I visit me and my friends visited the Taipei 101, which is the most expensive, which has the most expensive mall in the country there. Mm-hmm. And in the food court, there's a place that does that. Same food, exactly like it wasn't even. It was just that style, and apparently that's a Japanese style of food. It was a really popular place down in that that six star mall, and mm. it was four American dollars for a full Ooh. meal. So me and my friends ordered like all the stuff. We couldn't believe it. It was also probably helped that it was the only the only attended at any of those restaurants that spoke English. <laughs> like we came down, and he's like, "You guys are gonna have to come to me." <laughs> like what do you mean? He's like nobody else speaks English here. <laughs> just sees you guys coming. <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's like, how many white people come to this mall? He's like, you know, this mall was designed to be a tourist mall. No white people come here. It's like, what? It's like, because like, they see the because the prices are set for the Taiwanese. It's like, what does that mean? It's like it's overpriced. No, okay. it's like, it's like we're the cheapest food here, and we're like McDonald's is right there. It's like, yeah, I'm cheaper than McDonald's, believe it or not. <laughs> like, it's like. You see this plate that I gave you with like mm-hmm. steak and rice and all this nice stuff? Like, yep. Yeah, four American dollars. Like McDonald's, that's 10 bucks. <laughs> okay, <laughs> fine. We'll be with you. <laughs> and he's like, if you don't, like I'm about to go on break. I'll go mm-hmm. like, I'll go with you and order from any other place if you want. I'm like, okay, but we'll <laughs> eat from you because you sold us. <laughs> You're a positive seller. But oh my gosh, that was some of the best food I, I've ever had was just there. Charter of rights for illegal immigrants. Mm-hmm. Immigration. Uh, that's an interesting thing. Who can be a refugee? Yeah, who can't? I know there is a list of uh, certain developed countries that, like, if you're a citizen of them, you can't be a refugee, refugee. in Canada. Yeah. So, like, like, the U.S. South Korea was added a few years ago. I would see. I I, I like the idea of those lists until it gets to the circumstance. Because even in fully developed countries, there are levels of persecution that you could argue like yeah. I need to flee from. I, I mean, South Korea or the South Africa, yeah, right now could be getting that way for uh, white farmers and stuff like that. Yeah. The other one was um, the people who want to homeschool in Germany. How that's now yeah legal and you can get like you can get the crap beaten out of you we, by the German we government. knew a family who came here they went to our old church from germany yeah because they wanted to homeschool yeah because that's crazy because i remember um two or three years ago there was a big story where the german german national police raided a house of homeschoolers like with full full combat gear oh. or like and the picture of them pulling them out was like kids that were younger than 10 years old and oh, the yeah. mother and it's just like, and these guys are in full combat gear with like the helmets. It's like, Dude, it's like you guys, and you guys won't. I, I, the best comment on that was was on a, um, it was on a German newspaper that was in English. It was completely, and the first comment was, "So you guys will do this for the Christian homeschoolers, but you won't do this for the Muslim mosques where they're actually bombing people." Mm. <laughs> like that was the first comment, and it had like insane, like, and all the replies were like. Well, you know, we can't uh, we can't insult the migrants because they have had a bad. We can't insult the refugees from Syria because yeah. they've had a bad problem too. And that was like all mockingly joke jokes of like, we've opened up our borders. It's time we pay for it. <laughs> I mean, there might be uh, like the the NDP government seems to be trying to crack down on homeschooling Schooling. and stuff here. Yeah, which I don't like. Yeah, well. Because I was almost thinking, like, I mean, whenever I have kids, like, I'd only like to actually keep them in some sort of a normal school till like, grade six or something. Yeah. And then, like, after that, like, I don't know if they're old enough to get a job, but, because, like, homeschool is only part-time. Yeah. 
Like, you know, they could get a part-time job or they could learn something or they well, could, yeah, you know. Like, grade 12, yeah. I mean, well, at age 12, unfortunately, who knows what's going to be in 10, 10 yeah. 15, 20 years, what the career choices are going to be. But assuming that our culture moves more towards, a, if it moves more towards yeah. a capitalist consumeristic, then there's going to be a lot of space at the mall for 12 and 13 year olds to even just do <laughs> stock supply in the back oh, rooms. Yeah, even stuff like that or, you know, a lot of online stuff. Oh, I mean, there's well, a lot, that's of, little, take there's over, a lot yeah. of kids who can, like, they can figure out how to code and they can start doing stuff online. Yeah. I know. I was thinking, well, I wasn't thinking about when, when, if I get married and ha- having kids, but it was, my thought was, was like, I saw a meme the other day. It was absolutely hilarious. It was, um, the most unrealistic thing about Harry Potter was eventually the kids used all the skills they learned at school. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I show this with my friends and I'm like, that is completely true though. How many people like, unless you are going to become a, you know, go to university for ma- mathematics or science, there's like very little you need to continue on besides from grade six. Cause I mean, at the end of my grade six, I knew how to do multiplication, division. It's like trigonometry. Well, you can learn that pretty. It's like it is an interesting thing to learn, but it's not but... like some people can teach it pretty well. <laughs> you and there's a lot of YouTube videos are eventually going to be on other distribution uh, platforms. Khan Academy and all that yeah. stuff. It's I've only had one thing I've ever taken that's like I've never been able to find a proper lesson of it somewhere else but that was just a very specific um class where the professor was the guy who wrote the whole curriculum it's like okay, he yeah. wrote the curriculum well i mean that's the only place you're really going to get it i mean yeah. it, back to that research thing i said it's like if you want like the yeah. latest research science you know like okay those professors they're the ones to go for that but yeah you know well yeah it's it's yeah i mean the, the, the other crazy thing is i've always wanted to go and talk to not not engineers per se, but people who have been in like very high up science who decided to leave the field like just after their master's degree and go and work for some big com- company. Unfortunately, a lot of times I think of defense contractors because I'm into the I love aerospace technology and how many of them um, versus going to work for NASA instead going to work for Boeing or Lockheed like how many end their career thinking they actually did something amazing mm-hmm. versus. Like NASA, you probably come off like frick, we're space program, like all that prestige. But how mm-hmm. many of them are now looking at like uh, NASA 2012 is like our primary goal is outreach to the Muslim world. It's like, shouldn't it be finding more planets and there's something like that? Yeah. Like <laughs> going the, to Mars. Yeah. Or building better airplanes. There's a whole idea behind SpaceX was. <laughs> yeah. He no. just wanted to go to Mars. He wanted. He wanted to know when NASA was going to Mars. Mars had no plan. And, so he's like, okay, well, how do I'll I... will make a plan. <laughs> well, no, and then his original thing was just to inspire people. people. So he tried to buy some ICBMs from Russia. Yeah. And he wanted to send them to Mars with, uh, like, a little camera on board. Yeah. And some seeds, you know, and some growth medium, and then just have them sprout. And then it's like, hey, look, we have life on Mars. You know, take a picture of it and, like, see yeah. there's life on Mars, and then that would inspire yeah. people and get the space program going to Mars. But, you know, instead... Yeah. And then you just realize, you know, it's just easier to build your it's own a, rocket than try is. to buy an ICBM. Yeah, well, just the international <laughs> trade and weapons laws you have to deal with. Yeah, I, I mean, there no warheads on it, but even still yeah. it was. <laughs> well, even just, well, it's just the guidance system alone is what freaks everyone else out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's crazy, considering that you can actually buy a Russian nuclear sub. Oh, can you? 
Uh, there was one that was privately sold to, like, granted it was sold to like a Russian mafia guy. Yeah, but like he owned it as his base of operations in Saint, in like one of the port cities. Huh. It's like he, his ruling was he could own it, and he could get it refueled. He just couldn't take it to any other country. He couldn't sail it to anywhere else. Okay, you can't even just sail it around. No, he could, like, he could in, take in, it out in, of he could take it into water, but he couldn't dock anywhere, and he couldn't allow any okay. other nation to intercept him. Okay, so they basically stay in Russian or international water, and yeah, and if you go into international waters and like another nation intercepts you, you have to sink it. Okay, <laughs> it was like you have to destroy it. <laughs> I do remember that story though, because it, it was like it was just uh, it was just after Putin had stepped like it, he was prime minister instead of president, and he had let mm-hmm. Medev be president, right? And then within six months of that story coming out, the uh, Russian FSB raided and took back the thing and then scrapped the submarine. <laughs> the, whole, the whole story eventually ended out was that naval base commander needed like needed so much money to repair the ships around his command. He sold the submarine to get by the gear to keep his soldiers and sailors able to work. Like hmm. he had so little, like they just, the Navy had so little money for him. He's like, I have destroyers that if I sail them, they will hmm. run out of fuel. <laughs> and I and I and if I don't sell them, I get killed. So I'm gonna sell the submarine to buy the fuel, so I can sail the guys, so I don't get killed. I was like, that's how weird the story was. Yeah, yeah, yeah man. Yeah, uh, Russia's a Russia's a weird. It's weird. an interesting country. It, it, I mean, too much vodka. Yeah, and the like the life expectancy for men is like 55 or something like well, that. Well, yeah, it's... the single biggest cause of men under 35's death is alcohol poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> Although when you have temp- when you have a country, the largest country on the planet, but with temperatures so cold that you actually don't want to go outside for half the year, you probably do mm. drink yourself to death. Oh, probably. But I mean, they'll like I've heard they'll just be drinking like bottles of vodka on the train on the more in the morning commute. <laughs> yeah. <It's> like... <laughs> well, they've they have a thing where now because um, uh, the FIFA tournaments there this year. Oh yeah. They're having a thing where too many of the Russian, because um, the Russian soccer fans, they call them ultras, are extremely violent. They're <laughs> like, so they've already had the FSB raid like the St. Petersburg and Moscow clubs to take, to arrest these ultras. <laughs> like they're arresting them ahead of time. But now they have confirmed that, um, so this one guy who leads like the largest ultra club in Russia, they arrested him four days ago. The problem was, is that um, he, the girl side of his group, is so is more violent than him that they and they can't arrest the girls because of like some way of law it's like the girls will always be let out of court for like threats of violence crime because the court doesn't think they're that violent even though that when the female soccer fans in russia get into like riots it's actually deadlier than the men (laughs) 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 and and i I was reading that and i was like holy crap I couldn't believe that because in 2006, uh, I remember watching this video of these two Russian clubs going into a full fight. Like the soccer game had ended and they just decided to meet in this parking lot outside, like four blocks away from the stadium. They met in this parking lot that was this, um, and, and there were these guys there with video cameras and they were like, holy crap, like the red team's coming. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's going on here? Like this isn't there. Well, there's the blue team. Get the cameras out. And first it starts off with them in a line shouting at each other. Then fireworks start going off. <laughs> like not at, up in the air like at each other yeah they start flipping cars and the whole thing ends with gun automatic gunfire and 10 people getting killed and Oof. yet and yet and, and like i researched a story and it was like 
the story was soccer fans shot at protest or like at at club fight. Yeah, it's like that's like how the Russian media is like it happens. What can you do? It was like you know like fifth page news. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just like I. I watched it. I've watched that video ten times, and I just couldn't believe it. Unfortunately, the website that video was sponsored on is gone now. I oh. I, I bet if I could I could find it on YouTube or somewhere else, but yeah, maybe one of the other ones. Yeah, shadier ones, Live Leak or Daily. I could have been live. Could have been Live Leak. I mean, that the thing was it's 2006, 2007. The only reason I knew about it is because a friend introduced. Oh, this was way back then. Yeah, oh, so Confused. It's almost pre. Yeah. Did you know Confused? It was a video sharing platform. It was, like uh, a, it was no, this one guy who so. ran it, so people would submit videos to him and he'd post them. Oh, okay. And this uh, one just came in. stupid videos, I remember that. And then there was Fail Blog. Fail like, Blog. Yeah, it was a separate website just for Yeah, fail, fail Blog, uh, which still exists, and they have very demotivational also connected to them, which okay. is, is they, they're still running, which is amazing. Because uh, they've got 31. Confused was amazing because they just had, um, their tagline was almost better than tacos. <laughs> and they had they had like the the main reason Confuse died was the founder said it was because of YouTube because once YouTube came out it's like it was way easier to post stuff yeah and he had he was a he had a great web player he was able to make like he coded this amazing player for the videos mm-hmm. but he's like I have no way I don't know how to code a search engine so you just have to go through every single page until you find the video oh. So like when I when me and my friends found out about it, it was ninety seven pages long, Oof. and it, he and the thing was on the front page was always like the newest videos his own blog and it was like how many pages were added today, so on average it was five to seven pages getting added a day oh. or like so if you've watched something in page ninety three, mm-hmm. and then like waited four weeks like you could it was like it was gone it was like between page 100 and 150 as far as you knew you're like i i don't know where this video <laughs> is it's and and of course back then also it was like you know it was in a, you know you only had either like mozilla firefox wasn't that good back then so you were kind of mm-hmm. stuck with that and the schools only wanted that or uh, internet explorer and yeah. internet explorer was terrible at loading the pages so it would take a minute to load a page uh, and like and a slow internet yeah, yeah. <laughs> remember having to wait a wait while the movie loaded <laughs> you just gotta watch the little thing go I saw, like, is it far enough now can hit yeah. play will it be there by the time i get there <laughs> yeah when you actually have to think about that of course back during that that time period i lived out in bear's paw so you know oh, yeah. imagine your internet take divide it like multiply the, yeah. the slowness by 10 it's well, like it's... it used to take me um well geez back then uh, if I wanted to buy a video game on Steam and it was more than two gigabytes, I knew I had to keep my computer on at least a night and a half <laughs> to download it. Yeah, I think it was a Joe Rogan way back when, like in the Quake days, he paid like a thousand bucks a month or something for, was like a T1 or T3? Yeah, was T- a good uh, probably, one? Uh, probably a T3 line. Okay, yeah, like, like a really, really T1, nice yeah. high-end line. Yeah. yeah uh, like, yeah. Because he lived way out somewhere, and <laughs> yeah, and he wanted to play Quake really bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, back in the old days when you you're doing stuff like that, how crazy it was, <laughs> how um, how crazy those games were. But, though that being said, about video gaming, which I'm still involved in, how insanely large the games have become in file size, and yet right. how the like arguably the graphics haven't improved as amazingly as they should have as like i have so my 
my standard for graphics is still Crisis and Crisis 2, which is like, you know, t- 2006, mm-hmm. 2008 era. Those are still some of the best looking games I've ever played. They're both under four gigabytes of size. Okay. I can download games today. Like, so Far Cry 5 came out. And I think it's 40 gigabytes. Oh. And I'm like, okay, I can understand map size, but can't you guys shrink this down? And there was a talk uh, four months ago at one of these um, indie game development conferences mm-hmm. where they had like one of the big guys from, I think it was, um, it was somebody who used to work at Dice actually for EA, and he was like, he was the guy who helped um, program the Frostbite engine and Frostbite Two and Frostbite Three. Like he was their main programmer, mm-hmm. and he decided like he was just going to go open contract and go work for somebody else and build better engines that were easier to distribute. And he was like, uh, he said, the problem is, is games are now so big and storage space is so cheap that companies don't, uh, and the crunch times are so insane that they don't um, clean up the game caches when they're done. Oh. It's like, you. he's like, I guarantee you, uh, and one of the things is like, you could take Battlefield 2, or no, Battlefield 4, it should be a quarter of the size. Oh. <laughs> like, it shouldn't be 40 gigs for the full game. It should be 10 gigs for the full game, all the maps and everything. Mm-hmm. Because like that's how clean we can make it. We just generally don't have the time to do it because of the crunch time for being at a big company with stockholders complaining. Right. And also, it's like we're at. We keep getting told to add new features, and but usually it's just like just staple it on, staple it on, staple it on. Where more more often than not, we come back. We should be able to come back to it. And be like, well, those fifty pages of code we wrote in could be replaced by literally one line. Delete. But we don't do that. Yeah. We usually like we change that one line so it works, but we keep that fifty pages in because like, we we don't know if something else will screw up. We don't have the time to spend the debug right. money <laughs> shed. But that's what he said. It was just like ridiculous how big games. Because EA got sort of shut down with their Battlefront game uh, with the microtransactions. <sighs> yeah, I well, mean that wasn't just microtransactions. That was loot boxes. Yeah, it was the loot boxes and stuff that they <laughs> like ruined game progression. But I mean, it actually had a significant impact. Like their stock price dropped yeah. pretty substantially, and which is which they deserved. The other crazy thing was before the stock drop, spot stock price dropped. EA's um, uh, quarterly review said that if they took loot boxes out of the game, it wouldn't. It would cost them nothing. They would lose no money. <laughs> like the loot boxes and the microtransactions don't cost us anything if we take them out. Like, well, yeah, I mean, it's a digital product, really. Yeah. It's <laughs> but yeah, it was just the way they said that. It, it's like, it doesn't, we could have them in or not. It wouldn't change the bottom line for us. And everyone's Well, like, it would improve it if it was yeah, in. Yeah. It, well, that's the thing. It, but like would, everyone would... said like, well, look at Activision and how they made like two, like, uh, well, no, no, it's take too interactive how they've made like more money off of just the um, sale of shark cards in Grand Theft Grand Theft Auto Five. Mm-hmm. They've made in pro- actual physical sales of Grand Theft Auto Five. It's like two thirds of their money was just shark cards versus Grand Theft Auto Five sales. <laughs> I mean, some people. It's. I mean, that is. Uh, it was Battlefield Heroes. It was the first one. I saw to come out with some sort of that. It was like a cartoon shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, uh, you, you could basically just buy like skins and stuff for your character. It wasn't yeah. really. I don't think it affected anything. No, it's just game. it was just appearances. But it was otherwise. It was a free game to play. Yeah, and then. Well, that's the thing. If you're gonna go to a like those models work on free to play games because mm-hmm. people don't have a problem. Like if the game play itself is free, but I'm just buying cosmetics or something after the fact, it's fine. And the companies that have done that, so there's um, 
Blacklight Retribution is one of the big ones that just has been doing that. I think it's like four years old or five years old now that game's been doing it. And the same, another one is Warframe that's been doing it extremely well. It's like the game is free, but all the cosmetic stuff that you want to buy, you have to pay money for. And usually people only pay so much, like they mm-hmm. just buy their certain level. And then the guys who develop that game, they just come out with like, hey, we noticed you like this one. Well, here's 10 more of that that you yeah. liked. You're probably going to buy one or two of these, yeah. but we're just going to slam like 20 of them out there. So you have a choice. Yeah, just some good marketing analytics. They're, they're like Warframe's insanely <laughs> good at doing that. They're the guys who've figured it out. They got, um, as far as I remember, like there was a reviewer I liked who, got, who loves Warframe, but he got mad at them because of the recent release. They put uh, like... 10 times the amount of stuff they'd ever put out one single release and he's like now i have too much i want to buy and i know i shouldn't buy it (laughs) you guys were great and then you came out as a finished game and now there's too much here (laughs) like you've actually ruined it for me and it's like just because he's an anti-microtransactions guy he's like so that's his whole thing is like i can't i can't do it anymore i can't justifiably do it and be nice to my and have my audience believe me and I'm sort of the same way. It's like I, I, I understand the idea of DLC and expansion packs. Like I love them back when they were actual expansion packs. You mm-hmm. actually not only did you buy something that was digital good, good, but you actually got like, hey, here's a whole new like ten hour campaign for that game you played, and it cost only ten bucks versus thirty bucks for the original. <laughs> and it's about the same length as it took to beat the original one, and it's harder and adds more complex gameplay now it's just like hey you want this gun that we just came out with that should have been in the original release and if you look in the files it was but you have to pay five dollars to get it now (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's not good yeah well the video game industry it's i mean I'm, i'm not a journalist in it or anything but i almost wonder if the top tier industry the triple a level companies have saturated themselves to the point where there's almost nowhere they can go. They're just like, it's brand loyalty or like game loyalty now until something goes really wrong and they just fall apart. And it's the little indie and sort of like, well, there's a new term, the double A developer where it's a developer who just doesn't have a publisher. They're just making the game themselves and directly publishing on some random platform. Right. And those guys seem to be doing well. Yeah. I mean, if you could do, if you can do it, you do something nice. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. That's, uh, but yeah, you know, digital entertainment. <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez. We've been going for a long time. Yeah. We've been going for a while. Yeah. Ooh. We should, we yeah, should we cut should this out. Shut this down. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> well, hopefully I can have you back sometime. Yeah. 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 Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> so it'd be fun to do, uh, maybe get the other microphones in here. Yeah, on, yeah. On like an election night or something like that. We yeah, do, oh, that would be fun. Do like a live stream. Well, yeah, I mean, the the, the company I'm hosting it off, it doesn't, pay, like, A, to live stream onto YouTube would be almost nothing. I just have to get the, uh, I just have to build a computer device to run it. Actually, my desktop upstairs could probably do it. I just need a capture card to put a few video cameras. I already have okay. the cameras, of course. Right, yeah. But um, if I decided to also live stream this to YouTube as well as other platforms, the company that I pay to host this podcast, it's like $4 more a month. They have infinite video storage too. So it's like, oh, oh okay. Oh, that's very reasonable of a, yeah. a scalability. Yeah. Could even do like a Facebook live stream. Yeah, that's well. true. Facebook, although... Uh, that's limited, I think, in how long you can do it. Yeah, I, I think... 
Yeah, I think you have to. I think they only have like an hour and ninety and fifty minutes or something like that. Yeah, like it's two like hours, that. and then you have to restart it. Okay. Because I know uh, YouTube just lets you go. Well, I know that YouTube lets lets you go, but there is um, there is a high chance that at like f- between some people, like it's seven or ten hours, you have to restart it, or you have to launch a second one because it starts to like get oh, okay. knocked up with itself. It's like it's okay. so much. It's like oh, I. <laughs> that depends though, because those guys who were doing that had like. 20 feeds going so they had a lot more data <laughs> okay but still yeah. i mean there's some long i mean joe rogan does this three hours all the time yeah i Steven think crowder's done uh, i think a 16 hour one yeah he had to it, break it, that into two i've watched all of that, that oh you the, watched the, the whole thing yeah <laughs> i didn't watch it in, in one go but i watched like 10 <laughs> hours of it in one go i saw bits of it and it was just it was so the, the crazy thing about that CNN only covered seven stories in 13 hours. Yeah. I yeah. And they were all the stories were announced within the first hour. And there was nothing new for the rest no. of the day. <laughs> Although it was hilarious. Like the last, the, the first part, which is 11 hours and so much, like almost 12 hours. There's a lot of slow times in that. The best stuff is in the second part in the okay. three hour song because little, he does have his wish where two little people wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they also had some carolers come in and then one of them locked herself in the green room because she didn't want to sing for him. Yeah. But, but the green room is also the entrance and exit to their like stage. <laughs> also, the green room had numerous firearms that she was opposed to in. Oh. <laughs> so, 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 so the story was going. His, they, they had his dad on and Steven's like, we were actually really concerned about getting her out of there because we were concerned she might shoot herself to death. She's like, none of the guns have ammunition. They're all like, rep, yeah, they're yeah, all like properly sword, but no, well, it's like, it's like, it's like, um, like antique grade um, oh, okay. revolvers that are up on plaques but she's like but we're concerned she would have pulled like that that um cult single action army and figured out a way to put a bullet in her head and like kill herself and like well now we have to change studios because somebody killed themselves here yeah but yeah that was a funny thing what was the other did they he's done another live stream but that that was the longest one he's that, that's his that's a long i mean he does a one every thursday yeah like well, one to two hours yeah. his standard show yeah well, I'm actually on. I actually have a subscription to CRTV, so oh, I can okay. watch all his normal you stuff. You watch all whenever. Yeah, I've. But yeah, I like his his Facebook one because I remember when um, YouTube actually knocked him out. He could only post on. He could only live stream on Facebook for right. like a few months. And, and then he was, was off Twitter. Yeah. He was off Twitter for a while too. Yeah. Now Owen Benjamin's off Twitter. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you all again, right. Stephen. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome.